This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN, 89.5 FM, Columbia. to you. Welcome to Radio Orbit, KOPN 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Mike Hagan. It is Sunday, the 31st of October. Happy Halloween to everybody out there. Hope you're having a fun Saturday night and an early Sunday morning if you're still up and listening to the radio. So anyway, uh, Radio Orbit coming to you live every Sunday morning, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., and uh, also, uh, don't forget, it is daylight savings time uh, change or time to change again. We've got to move that clock back an hour this evening. So uh, even though on most of your clocks it probably looks like it says 3 o'clock in the morning, 
it's actually only 2 o'clock because of this ridiculous time change and this ridiculous calendar that we have attached ourselves to here in, in the great western hemisphere of planet Earth. So anyway, uh, a happy Halloween to y'all. And... Um, Got sort of a fun show lined up tonight. Nothing, uh, nothing too serious. Going to get uh, our our good friend Kent Stedman on the line from uh, from Seattle, Washington. Kent's going to be on the air coming up uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, actually, about 50 minutes up at the top of the hour, and we're going to be talking about Halloween and uh, the old Celtic and druidic traditions and some of the, uh, some of the mythology associated with uh, with all of the, all of that history so that'll be cool we'll have Kent on in an hour and we're just gonna have a nice uh, uh, couple hour long chat like we always do so stick around for that that's always fun um, in the meantime uh, we'll play some good music as we always do try to have a little bit of a Halloween theme tonight and uh, play some music that at least reminds me of Halloween. So all that coming up in the next three hours. And uh, we'll do space weather in just a few minutes. Let you know what's going on with the sun. Actually, some pretty interesting activity up in the skies above our heads over the last week or so. And certainly today, big X, uh, X-class flare earlier today. And um, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Talk about some of the shows that we've got coming up in the next... Uh, next few weeks, actually, have some really, really cool shows coming up in the next couple of weeks, and we'll talk about those. And um, well, got a few other things to do too. So, all that stuff coming up on Radio Orbit KOPN, and that's what you are listening to. Uh, KOPN is Mid Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio; it's community radio, and. Uh, it's KOPN, serving Columbia and lots of the areas around mid-Missouri here. So, here we go. Okay, uh, let's uh, jump right in and do space weather, I think, right now. And uh, uh, my microphone's acting up a little bit, too. So, I don't know. Hopefully, we, you know, it's funny. Whenever I have Kent on the air, uh, this microphone acts up. I don't know. It must be that, uh, that energy that he brings that he brings to the program or something like that. So... In any case, okay, space weather, uh, as I said, there have been some, uh, some pretty significant activity on the sun in the last, uh, last couple of days. There was an X1, an X-class flare that erupted uh, from sunspot area 691 uh, earlier today at about, uh, well, just let's, let's just say earlier this morning. Um, it's too early to know if there will be a uh, a coronal mass ejection associated with that flare. Sometimes when they're short duration flares, which, uh, which is what this one was, wasn't a very long, long burning flare. Sometimes when they're short duration, you don't have a whole lot of uh, coronal mass ejection uh, activity associated with those types of flares. Uh, but uh, in any case, big flare, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep our eye on that and see if there's anything uh, any any material from the sun that gets blasted out towards the Earth uh, that might affect us out here. Um, coming around the eastern limb of the sun, if you go to the SOHO satellites or go to the um, uh, any of the uh, the solar watching satellites that we have flying flying up uh, around the Earth, 
you can um, see there's a big, large, double sunspot area that is coming around the eastern limb of the sun. Uh, that is uh, sunspot area 693 and also uh, 691. And I, I take that back. Um, 693 is, I guess, is what they're calling the entire area there. 691 is where that uh, where that X class came from earlier today. So, in any case, uh, some big sunspots rolling around, and uh, they uh, um, always portend uh, interesting activity, and uh, all of those things directly affect the Earth when they happen. So, we'll keep our eye on the, on these sunspots and the activity on the sun as it's been pretty quiet for about the last two months or so. Um, but uh, now activity starting to kick up again. The sunspot number is up around 130, which is significantly higher than it should be uh, at this time uh, during the cycle. And um, so, like I've said many times in the past on this program, the sun just uh, doing, uh, doing its thing and really not following any of the established rules that we've sort of thought uh, the sun should be following um, over the last over the last couple of years. So, uh, uh, so that's going on, and we'll watch the sun. We'll talk to Kent for sure about what's happening on the sun when he gets on the air in just a uh, just a little while. Halloween uh, for those who are interested in the astronomical side of uh, of the date. Um, Halloween is one of of the four what they call cross quarter dates. The cross-quarter dates are dates that fall in between the solstices and the equinoxes uh, on the calendar. Uh, the equinoxes, of course, uh, in March and in September on the Gregorian calendar, and the solstices in uh, June and December. Well, in between those, for example, in between September 21st or 22nd, 23rd, whenever the solstice actually falls, uh, it doesn't fall on the same day every year. It won't always be the 21st of September, of, uh, September for example, for the, for the fall equinox. It might fall on the 20, uh, 22nd or the 23rd, just depending on how the sun and the moon and the planets are, uh, are, are moving. Uh, but uh, in any case, the cross-quarter dates are dates that fall in between. So Halloween is basically halfway in between that fall equinox and the winter solstice of December 21st through the 23rd or so. And these cross-quarter dates are the days that fall in between, and there are four of them, of course. And uh, those have also been historically uh, significant days and uh, celebration days for certain traditions. And uh, so that's what Halloween is. Halloween is one of those cross-quarter dates. Now, there's a whole, uh, a whole incredible history behind Halloween and um, uh, that goes, goes back many, many years, thousands of years. And we'll uh, try to sort some of that out with Kent coming up in an hour or so. So we'll talk about that a little bit further coming up. The, um, of course, the, uh, the Celtic peoples of the British Isles certainly use the equinoxes and the solstices to mark uh, the beginnings and endings of seasons and things like that. Uh, the winter actually began with Halloween and uh, would, um, would continue until, uh, until the cross-quarter date in between the winter solstice and the uh, spring equinox. And people used it, you know, to pretty much uh, manage their lives. They would uh, um, mark the beginnings of the seasons, the growing seasons, uh, and all those sorts of things. And, of course, those go back uh, and tie into 
the activities of lots of indigenous peoples too around the world that um, mark their calendars uh, and the way that they tell time uh, with the moon and the sun and the stars and not particularly with a uh, with a man-made uh, program such as the as the calendars that we use down here on earth so anyway we'll be talking a lot more about that uh, a little bit later tonight talking about the sun with Kent Stedman uh, speaking of the sun the aurora borealis is uh, still in high season and there have been some incredible images of aurora coming down from the northern latitudes up there in Canada and the Arctic Circle and, uh, and um, Alaska and I've seen some great imagery over the last few days so if you're up at those latitudes uh, make sure you keep your eye out uh, in the evenings for some beautiful activity up in the skies up there in the north you won't be able to see anything too significant down here uh, in the, the uh, latitudes where we are here in mid-Missouri. But uh, for those people listening on the web and uh, those people in other parts of the world that might be at latitudes where they can see these sorts of things, uh, now is a great time of the year to do that. And especially with increased solar activity, if we have some increased solar activity, that will, of course, um, bump up the, uh, the auroral activity as well. So... Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be able to see some of that stuff, uh, go outside over these next few nights and uh, take a look up in the sky and you'll see some real pretty stuff. Um, you know, we've been talking about near-Earth asteroids, too, uh, on space weather. Talk about that every once in a while, and I haven't really said much about it since uh, the Tutatis flyby, which actually happened um, back at the end of September. And uh, the, uh, the place that updates that sort of stuff to tell us the objects that are in our neck of the woods uh, hasn't been updated for about a month and I don't know if that's because uh, there's nothing uh, at least on the known side of things that they're aware of that's coming in our neighborhood uh, anytime soon or it might be uh, that uh, maybe the guy's on vacation I don't know the guy who updates it but in any case there's there uh, that's why I haven't reported it in a few weeks and uh, as far as near-Earth asteroids go, there are the ones that we know about, and there are the ones that we don't know about. And, of course, uh, the ones that we don't know about are the ones that are probably a little bit more interesting because uh, we have no idea when uh, they will occur, when, when they will buzz by us, and we, know, we never know how big they are or uh, what their orbits are or what trajectory they might have. And, in fact, uh, most times with the ones that we don't know about, we end up hearing about those a few days after the fact, uh, typically, we'll say, oh, back on Wednesday of last week, the Earth had a close encounter with a two-mile-wide asteroid that just missed us. And it's funny, it'll be on the back page of the, of the paper somewhere, somewhere stuck into the bowels of the newspaper where very few eyes actually uh, reach those sorts of things. But it happens all the time. And, in fact, just last week there were a couple stories about uh, a couple of rocks that blew by us in the last couple of weeks. So those are obviously ones that they don't know about. And, uh, well, I guess they know about them now, and maybe the next time around, uh, if they had enough information that was gathered from uh, uh, when they came around this time, maybe they'll know, and they can uh, give us fair warning. In any case, lots of rocks flying around there that we don't know about, and uh, uh, quite frankly, count your blessings. They could whack us at any moment and change the whole scene. So, uh, uh, take your life and make the best of it every single day, okay? Because you never know when you might get whacked by a big space rock. Okay. Uh, uh, with uh, There was a related story um, that 
Well, I think I'll play some music here. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about the sun in just a minute. Uh, but there was a story about the uh, sunspot number being at a uh, eight thousand year high, and I'll uh, we'll come back and uh, talk about that a little bit more uh, after this. This is uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You'll be back in just a minute. This is Mike Hagen, Radio Orbit KOPN. Happy Halloween.
Seeds, that's Red Right Hand from Songs in the Key of X. And this is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5. And let me take care of a little bit of quick business here. Uh, KOPN is hosting a thank you for your support party at Mojo's on November 6th uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. That's a Saturday night. Uh, Singer-songwriter Vic Chestnut will be there compliments of KOPN, and that's always an interesting show with Vic. Uh, If you bring your latest KOPN membership letter, the one that you got in the mail after you made your pledge, uh, that that membership letter will qualify you for a CD uh, or a book of your choice uh, on the night of the show. So not only do you get in to see the show, you also get a book or a CD of your choice. Uh, So check it out uh, Saturday night, next Saturday. A week from tonight, uh, or a week from last night, I guess I should say, seeing it's, as it's uh, Sunday morning now. So, uh, in any case, a week from uh, last night, go down to Mojo's, check out Vic Chestnut. Uh, you can also get more information at kopn.org or at uh, mojoscolumbia.com. And uh, we appreciate all the support from everybody out there in the community, and this is just something that uh, the folks here at the station uh, are putting together for you guys. So it should be a great show and a lot of fun. Get to meet some other people from uh, uh, from the community that have maybe uh, similar interests as yourselves, um, and uh, get to meet some people from the station. I'll be down there, and a lot of the other programmers that work down here at KOPN uh, will be down there as well. So we'd love to see all you guys down there, and hope uh, hope you all can make it. Okay, we were just uh, doing space weather a few minutes ago, and I mentioned that the sunspot uh, uh, activity is at an 8,000-year high. Uh, and that was reported uh, from uh, Space.com earlier this week. And you ask, well, how would you know that it's at an 8,000-year high? We've only been 
really keeping track of the sun uh, scientifically uh, for, oh, maybe 150 years or so. And uh, certainly 8,000 years ago, uh, there wasn't, at least not to our knowledge, uh, uh, in fact, I should totally take that back. Quite frankly, the people that were walking around the Earth about 8,000 years ago probably knew a heck of a lot more about the moon and the sun than we do. Um, <clears throat> in any case, I'll read a little clip of this article for you here real fast. Uh, the uh, story reads, uh, Sunspots have been more common in the past seven decades than at any time in the last 8,000 years, according to a new historic reconstruction of solar activity. Many researchers have tried to link sunspot activity to climate change, uh, but the new results cannot be used to explain global warming, according to the scientists who did the study. And uh, I will just add uh, uh, here real fast that anybody who doesn't think that the sun is involved with climate change must be a complete moron. All right, The sun is obviously uh, the, most, the most important thing uh, in the universe with regard to climate change, okay? So anybody that doesn't think that the sun's involved in climate change must be smoking some pretty good stuff. Uh, but in any case, uh, they, um, they try to play this stuff down quite a bit. But bottom line is sunspot count has been, uh, has been very high. They say uh, sunspots have been studied directly for about four centuries. And um, I said earlier about 150 years, but uh, I guess it depends on what uh, uh, technologically what you're talking about here. So in any case, uh, those direct observations provide the most reliable historic record of solar activity. Previous studies have suggested cooler periods on Earth uh, were related to long stretches with low sunspot counts. Uh, from the 1400s to the 1700s, for example, Europe and North America experienced uh, what, uh, what was termed a little ice age for about 50 years during that time, um, and correspondingly, there were, there were nearly no sunspots during that period of time. Um, in any case, uh, we'll, uh, I won't read any more from the article, but uh, the way that they actually do this is they um, uh, trees on the planet absorb carbon, and uh, carbon-14 in particular is one of the isotopes of carbon that uh, trees absorb during their natural lifetime. Well, carbon-14 is a uh, radioactive isotope, and um, it can be uh, measured in the laboratory. So what they do is they dig up uh, old trees that have been buried uh, for a long, long time, and, uh, and they can date those. At least they say they can date them ac accurately. Again, a lot, a lot of this is... Uh, well, there's a certain amount of uh, uh, error, uh, a certain margin of error for all this sort of stuff, and I'm not willing to say what that margin might be, but uh, sometimes greater than others, obviously. So anyway, the trees, uh, they look at the trees, and uh, from the, uh, the levels of carbon-14 that uh, remain in these old trees, they can get an idea um, about what the sunspot count was because there's a correlation between carbon-14 and... Uh, the solar wind and some of the particles that fly out from the sun actually get incorporated into uh, plants and animals here on the planet. And by looking at those levels, they can determine uh, a correlation um, between the sunspot number. So that's how they did it. And um, they say that the sunspot numbers have never been higher in 8,000 years. Uh, one last thing regarding space weather. Uh, Cassini uh, there is a probe called Cassini that has been uh, voyaging uh, toward and around Saturn for the last few years. Uh, Cassini uh, 
was one that we talked about a couple of years ago. Uh, we were a little bit concerned because of the payload and because of the uh, 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 propulsionary uh, fuel. Propulsionary. I don't even know if that's a word. Maybe it is now. Uh, in any case, uh, the uh, there was plutonium on Cassini, and uh, people were a little bit worried about uh, the plutonium that was on board. So uh, that was something that I studied a couple of years ago, and actually a pretty inter- interesting story in and of itself, and again, something that we could talk to Kent about later if we decide to. But we're going to try to be talking about Halloween stuff, I think, tonight. So anyway, uh, Cassini uh, is cruising around. The one of the moons of Saturn right now. That moon is called Titan, and uh, taking some really interesting photos. And we've been able to look at those online, thanks to our friends at JPL and uh, at, and at NASA. Hopefully, they're showing us everything that they get. Um, and uh, anyway, you might uh, take a look at some of those images. They're really cool. You can go to. Uh, cyberspaceorbit.com that's uh, Kent's website which and Kent will be joining us in just a little while here uh, but uh, he's got connections and links to all that sort of stuff so uh, just go to www.cyberspaceorbit.com C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E-O-R-B-I-T dot com and you can also get to Kent's website by going through my website and that is www.cyberspaceorbit.com RadioOrbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. Uh, so uh, uh, that's the website. Might as well finish off some of this other stuff. Um, the email address, if you have questions, comments, concerns, ideas, uh, things like that, uh, give me a call. My number is uh, here at the studio is 874-5676, 1-800-895-5676. And you can always email me at Radio Orbit uh, website, at the Radio Orbit website, or you can email me, uh, email me directly at uh, orbitradio at aol.com. My friend Jeff Wheeler just walked into the station here, so kind of kind of threw me off there for a second. Good to see Jeff uh, showing up here. In fact, uh, we'll have to get him on the air here in a few minutes after we play a little bit, little bit more music. But uh, so uh, that's the website address, and that is my email address and the phone number here in, in the studio eight seven four five six seven six. Uh, if you want to call and uh, uh, let me know anything. Also, when we get Kent on the air, we might we might open up the other phones if he's up for it uh, a little bit later. And that phone number will be 443-8255, area code 573, okay? Um, upcoming guests next week, uh, I've got a real exciting show. Actually, it's funny that Jeff just walked in because he turned me on to some really cool music that I'm going to play next week during the show. But uh, we've got a gentleman. His name is Dr. Michael Heisen. And Dr. Heisen is a marine biologist who's been doing research uh, with uh, dolphins and whales for about the last 30 years and um, he's an incredible guy and he's got some amazing information to share with y'all we'll be talking to Dr. Heisen live from Hawaii next Saturday night Sunday morning and uh, really look forward to that we're going to have a woman on the air with him an associate of, uh, of Dr. Heisen's who recently had a water birth there on the beach in Hawaii and uh 300 dolphins, <clears throat> 300 wild dolphins, uh, plus or minus, showed up to help celebrate that birth, and uh, we're going to be talking about that, an absolutely amazing story. Uh, so that's coming up. Dr. Michael Heisen next week uh, on Radio Orbit. The following week, uh, I'm going to air an interview that I did with Dennis McKenna, and uh, we were talking about 
psychoactive drugs and hallucinogenic plants and compounds. And Dr. McKenna is an ethnopharmacologist and a, uh, a seeker uh, and a kindred spirit, somebody who has a tremendous amount of knowledge when it comes to uh, consciousness studies and the relationship to the mind and the brain of psychoactive plants and hallucinogenic compounds, things like DMT, dimethyltryptamine, uh, psilocybin, LSD. <laughs> so that'll be a pretty interesting uh, show next weekend for those that are interested in consciousness expansion and uh, the history of that sort of stuff and what uh, what it's being used for now. Actually, Dennis McKenna doing some really great research right now using some of these substances uh, to actually help people as opposed to, to some of the historical uses of the of the same uh, compounds by uh, by folks uh, uh, that didn't have uh, as good of intentions as Dr. McKenna has. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I got confirmation last week from a uh, another incredible. Uh, uh, astrophysicist, the guy's name is uh, Dr. Paul LaViolette, and uh, Dr. LaViolette has some interesting theories that he's been uh, researching and uh, trying to uh, develop and support over all these years. We'll be talking about galactic wave theory and all kinds of different stuff with Dr. LaViolette. <clears throat> and, uh, well, I've got a bunch of other things coming up, too, so uh, we'll... we'll We'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, a little bit more about that later, and in the meantime, play a little bit of music. We'll be back. Got a couple more stories to talk about, and then we'll be back with Kent Stedman uh, from Cyberspace Orbit at the top of the hour. In the meantime, this is uh, Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit on KOPN. One more time, the phone number in the studio: eight seven four five six seven six one eight hundred eight nine five five six seven six. The website. Uh, radioorbit.com with just one O in the middle. Go there and you can get to Kent's website. There's a lot of great imagery uh, and uh, things on Kent's website. You might want to uh, you might want to surf along with us tonight interactively, and you can uh, be on the website uh, and see the same things that we're seeing and uh, under, understand a little bit more clearly what we're talking about, perhaps. So, anyway, back in just a few minutes. This is Mike, and uh, this is also. Uh, a band called Frank Bang Secret Stash. Great stuff. Uh, they were actually on the air in the studio here with uh, with our good friend Kelvin on uh, Wednesday evening. And uh, here they are right now. This is a song called, uh, well, I don't know what it's called. Frank Bang Secret Stash, KOPN Radio Orbit. <laughs>
That was Frank Bang's Secret Stash from their new CD. Like I said, they were here in the studio earlier this week uh, on the so-called Good Life. Always hearing some great music from uh, from Kelvin <laughs> or Kevin or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's one more story. But hey, I tell you what, I'm gonna t- what mic you on there, back over there, Jeff? M- mic number two. I'm gonna bring on my friend Jeff Wheeler here. Just stopped in the studio. How's it going tonight, Jeff? 
Oh, pretty good. All right, yeah, I Jeff. Guess, uh, everybody used to the, the time change. <laughs> I know. I got an extra hour of sleep before I had to come in here and do the show. I was kind of psyched about it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, it's hard to tell my one-year-old son that it's actually 5 o'clock in the morning and not 6 o'clock. I don't think he's going to understand me in the morning. Yeah, so. go back to bed. <laughs> yeah, just go back <laughs> to bed. I'm sure that'll work real well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, cool. Good to see you, Jeff. I'm glad yeah. you stopped by. You brought some music down. And Jeff's uh, hanging out, listening to Radio Orbit tonight, I guess. Probably nothing else to do. So. Yeah. <laughs> Except sleep, and who wants to do that? Exactly right. Yeah, nobody listened to this show, I guess. So, <laughs> Okay, Jeff. Hey, cool. Well, um, uh, stick around, and uh, we got Kent coming on in a few minutes, all right? Cool. All right, man. Hey, also, by the way, when's your show? Your show's Monday... From 3 to 5. Yeah, Monday 3 to 5 uh, in, the, right. in the afternoon. It's called Uncommon Light. Yeah. And uh, Jeff uh, Jeff always playing some, some really interesting music during his show, too. So check that out on Monday afternoons if you guys, uh, if you guys get a chance, all right? Thanks. All right, Jeff. Cool. Later. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's one other story, if I can get my stuff straight here. And that uh, was actually a really cool story uh, that happened... Archaeologically, in the last week or so, there was a big announcement uh, uh, that came out, and I'll just read the article here. This is from New Scientist, and um, the title of the article says, Tiny New Species of Human Unearthed. The remains of a tiny and hitherto unknown species of human that lived as recently as 13,000 years ago uh, has been discovered on an Indonesian island. The discovery has been heralded as the most important paleoanthropological find in 50 years and has radically altered the accepted picture of human evolution. The skull and bones of one of the adult females which was found and fragments of up to six other specimens were found in the Liang Bua limestone caves on Flora's Island, which lies uh, uh, up at the eastern tip of Java. And uh, the female skeleton is being called LB1, or by the nickname Ibu. <laughs> now, I'm not sure why they chose the nickname Ibu, but the, uh, they're also calling them the Hobbits, which I thought was really interesting because um, they've, been, sort of, they've been nicknamed the Hobbits because they're sort of these little creatures. And uh, they have very small uh, skulls, and um, their bones are m- much smaller. And to be honest, I, I mean, I, they're saying that, the, 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 that they're uh, a species of human, but they certainly don't look like humans. They look more like, you know... I don't know, little chimpanzees or something, maybe, but I don't know. I guess if they want to say that they're human, that's fine, I guess. In any case, they call them the hobbits, and that's interesting because Tolkien, for anybody who's familiar with uh, the work of J.R.R. Tolkien, um, uh, Tolkien actually was a guy, he was called a philologist, and he worked for one of the museums in England, in London, I want to say that it was, and uh, he studied ancient texts and ancient manuscripts, and this was his job. He did it for a living. And uh, back then, in the early 1900s, when he was doing this stuff, and in fact, he wrote most of the Hobbit series, The Lord of the Rings, all that stuff was written, um, even though it didn't get released till the 30s, I want to say, or the 40s. It was actually written um, prior to World War, prior and during World War One. And uh, that's why some of the imagery in those those stories, uh, the Lord of the Rings and the whole story of uh, the mythological adventure of uh, Bilbo Baggins and Frodo and all that stuff was sort of uh, built around the good and evil uh, scenario that was happening, uh, that was happening right in Tolkien's own world. 
And there are a lot of people uh, that have studied Tolkien that believe that the manuscripts and things that he was studying uh, at the British Museum uh, led him to believe that the story behind the Lord of the Rings was actually true history. And uh, Tolkien actually believed that, and he was on record as saying that he believed that what he was describing in the Lord of the Rings series was an actual hidden history, uh, long past, long forgotten, um, that actually occurred on planet Earth. And... uh, so that's sort of an interesting perspective if you watch uh, if you watch those movies with that in mind. Certainly, the Earth is uh, the Earth is uh, five five billion years old, something like that, on the order of five or six billion years old. So, the fact that our recorded history, quote unquote, goes back about oh gosh, I don't know, Sumeria. What's Sumeria? The, the 5,000 years ago, about 3,300 B.C. Um, So there's a whole lot of history that goes back a long, long way uh, that we really, uh, as much as we like to think we know, we really have no idea what may have been going on back then. So who knows? Maybe Tolkien was right. Maybe, uh, Maybe he was writing about the true history of planet Earth. And maybe there's lots of true histories of planet Earth that we don't even know about. And uh, that's another thing we can talk to Ken about uh, when uh, when we get him on the air. Ken's pretty familiar with uh, a lot of that old Tolkien material and and the uh, the entire cultural revolution that happened in the 60s and 70s when when all that material really hit the mainstream uh, uh, at the same time as the psychedelic era did. Um, and a lot of lot, a lot of really interesting things were happening back then in the late 60s and uh, through the mid 70s and. Uh, we talk about a lot of that stuff uh, on this program. So, in any case, this tiny new species of human being found, and they're calling them the hobbits. So maybe, maybe, maybe there really is something to this uh, to this whole thing. I'd like to think so. It's certainly an interesting story. So, all right, we got Kent coming up in about ten minutes, and uh, Kent is coming to us live from Seattle, Washington, as usual. Uh, talking to us from the cave there in Seattle, and right at the base of Mount. Uh, Mount Rainier, a big giant volcano sitting off there in the distance and uh, rumbling now and again these days, uh, just like uh, Mount St. Helens is up there in Washington. So we'll uh, we'll set the set the tone right here with um, a story from Como TV uh, in Seattle, and I'm going to back away from the mic real fast so I can grab a CD off of my chair here. <laughs> because I'm completely unprepared for my next music selection. (laughs) Anyway, uh, this is from uh, Como News in Seattle, and it says uh, the title of this story, and this is all for our Halloween theme, is I Was So Freaked Out. And uh, from Seattle, Washington, it's said to be one of the most haunted places in Seattle, yet most people only associate it with fresh produce and flowers. Of course, anybody who's been to Seattle knows I'm talking about the Pike Street Market. This being the Halloween season, it's time again to talk about several ghost stories that float around the Pike Place Market. For decades, it's been one of Seattle's most popular gathering places. And uh, ghosts go where people go, says Pike Place Honorary Mayor Michael Yeager. He leads the market's ghost tour. And, of course, he has no... uh, uh, He has no vested interest in making sure that those tours go well but the first ghost is right here by the pig it's up in the Goldwyn library says Jaeger it's rumored that Arthur Goodwin 
the market's second manager still haunts this office space, uh, but when you go downstairs, things get really interesting. Right up these stairs is the ghost of Snappy Dancer, says Jaeger. He haunts a space that used to be a ballroom. Uh, the market's lower level provides all kinds of tales. There's the bead zone that has a very mischievous little boy who runs around the shop and moves things, says the mayor's daughter, Mercedes Yeager. Shopkeeper Nina Menon stands at her wall of necklaces and recalls several times when the necklaces came off one by one and fell to the floor. She meticulously sorts out all the beads at closing every night. And every morning we come in and there are like at least three or four beads that belong to a space adjoining and they'll be laying on the floor. Chief Seattle's daughter is said to roam the market, uh, and Margaret believes that she saw her. She said, I saw a kind of black shadow with long hair, and I was so freaked out, she says. The market's most haunted space is just off Post Alley, right above Kells. Uh, right above Kell's place. Restaurants have come and gone, and none of them seem to last too long. Maybe it's because this space uh, used to be used as a mortuary. There are 14 ghosts in this one space, says Mercedes Yeager. Thirteen are just fine, but there's this one who's very, very angry. <laughs> the last tenant of this particular space, Fire and Ice, has already posted a for sale sign. Maybe they had an experience uh, like the previous ten- tenant, I don't know. So, All the wine bottles behind the bar started going across the room and smashing on the ground, just like bullets out of a gun, recalls Yeager. Wow, that's now. I hope that didn't happen. I mean... Ruin a bunch of good bottles of wine. I wouldn't do that even for a little publicity. Uh, ghost tours. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, ghost tours of the market will be held both Saturday and Halloween night. Um, just meet at the pig at 7 p.m. So anybody listening in Seattle, that's where you want to go. Okay, uh, with that, we will um, uh, get to Kent in just a few minutes here. And in the meantime, we'll uh, play some Seattle music. This is. Marcy Playground from their CD of the same name and with our Halloween theme tonight this is a song called The Vampires of New York stick around KOPN Radio Orbit we'll be back in uh, five minutes with Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com check it out on the web uh, before we get him on the air take it easy and this is uh, Vampires of New York Marcy Playground Come see the vampires of New York
Maybe she's already dead and maybe she's gone to Mars Maybe we could even write her epitaph in the stars You say if you go away from here If you go All right, Marcy Playground on Radio Orbit, KOPN. It's just about 3 o'clock in the morning on October 31st, Halloween. And uh, we're about to bring uh, my friend Kent Stedman on the air here from, uh, from cyberspaceorbit.com. And let me take care of a quick little bit of business here, and then we'll... Uh, We'll get uh, we'll get things going. You are listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world, more than radio. It's community radio, KOPN, Columbia, and all points around Mid-Missouri. Back in just a second with our friend Kent Stedman. All right, Radio Orbit, 4 o'clock, KOPN. I'm on the air here with my friend from... I take that back. It's 3 o'clock. We had to turn the clock back. Uh, on the air with my friend Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com. We got you here, Kent? Yeah. Boo. Boo. No kidding. <laughs> How are you, man? Yeah. Sitting here trying to think of scary stuff. Well, that's not too tough for you. I know, yeah. you, I, I know you too well. So, uh, For those uh, who have not uh, are not familiar with Kent he has a website that he has maintained for a number of years called cyberspaceorbit.com you're more than welcome to go there and uh, check it out while we're talking that's c-y-b-e-r-s-p-a-c-e-o-r-b-i-t cyberspaceorbit.com and you can also get to his website by going to radioorbit.com uh, the website here for uh, for the program and Kent is a regular guest on the program he has been on a number of times in the past and will be on a number of times in the future and um, just wanted to let everyone know if you haven't uh, heard the program before a little bit about Kent and him and I have uh, done a lot of research and uh, investigation over the years together, and we bring him here on Radio Orbit to share some of that stuff with you guys. So anyway, Kent, uh, good to have you again. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, Mike. Mm-hmm. Sawin. Sawin. Yes. Sawin. Okay, that's the correct pronunciation of uh, Halloween in, in, uh, in Gaelic. Is it Gaelic, Kent? Yes, Gaelic. It looks like Sam Hain. So if there's anybody out there named Sam Haynes, <laughs> <laughs> this is your day. Yeah, Happy birthday, Sam. I think there's some fellas down here in mid-Missouri named Sam Haynes. <laughs> this was the most uh, magical time of the year. Sawin was the day which did not exist. The day which did not exist. Yeah. And this is in what tradition again, Kent? Celtic. 
So we're talking back in the British Isles how long ago? Long times ago? Uh, well, now. Ah, now so this is the, the, the Celtic New Year. A lot of people are celebrating. I used to celebrate it when I lived out at the farm. I'd build seven bonfires and... Uh, I'd get my old buddy Patrick, the magician out there. He'd rig the whole place up during the day. And uh, so when uh, and then I'd run around town passing out leaflets to everybody I could see, you know, including uh, the mayor and the wino. <laughs> and several, several scores of people, sometimes uh, several hundred, would show up out at my farm east of Fresno on a, on a foggy night. The Thule fog would roll in. And... Uh, Patrick, who had dressed in his wizard robes, would uh, lift his wand and spin it in the air, and uh, <laughs> all the fires would light at once, remotely. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> then it got more intense after that. <laughs> all right, well, that's a, good way, that's a good way to set up our talk tonight. When, when Kent and I get on the air together, we like, to, we like to picture ourselves sitting around an old campfire or around a potbelly stove and... Uh, on Halloween, what better uh, what better night to do something like that? So yeah, see during the night, the great shield of Scatosh Scatosh was lowered, allowing the barriers between the worlds to fade and the forces of chaos to invade the realms of order. <laughs> the material world conjoining with the world of the dead. Wow. So the veils are thin tonight, Mike. The veils are thin. And you know, the the veils were thin uh, a few nights ago on Wednesday night, I have a feeling, Kent. Uh, yes, I was riding, coming back from the Bay Area on the train, which is a kind of mystical experience for me right off the bat. And I was sitting across uh, the dinner table with a British witch <laughs> and her con and her consort who was just really nervous get her a little cockney left <laughs> and he says man every time I I travel with her weird stuff happens and she was she began talking about the 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 occult and the wicca and so on right and he and we look out the window to the east and he says the moon looks really weird <sighs> And it was a sort of upside-down crescent, you know. Right. Glowing really orange. And as we watched it, the, uh, the shadow <laughs> crept across the face of the moon <sighs> and then swallowed it until, well, the, the end result was a uh, full blood moon disc. And he was the Cockney lad was getting more nervous and more nervous, and he said, "See, I told you, I told you." <laughs> yeah, that's right. We had a uh, we we had a full a full on lunar eclipse uh, on Wednesday night, right? Yeah. Well, I I'd, I'd read about it somewhere like a couple of weeks ago, but I'd forgotten. So it was all the more enchanting when it happened, you know. Yeah, you just peek out the window, especially riding on a train. I know what that's like. I love riding the trains around. But when you study the ancient Celt, you know. Uh, their their calendars were not the the Roman or the Gregorian calendar. They're all based on the solstices right, and, right, and, right. The, and the seasons of the year. And so, what I think I witnessed when was it? Last Wednesday? Yeah, just uh, three. I guess four days ago. So that was All Hallows Eve. That was Samhain. That was Samhain, and that and that is the correct. Do do me one more. Uh, do it for me one more time. The pronunciation. Samhain. 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 
Okay, I got it. Sam Hain. Sam Hain, that's right. All Hallows Eve, it's the Celtic New Year. Right, right. But right. I believe that it really, the transition that brought us into this mysterious season began with the uh, blood moon eclipse on Wednesday night. Right, of the 27th. So even even though Halloween for, for us uh, in the Western Hemisphere is, is, is tied to the Gregorian calendar, the actual date itself, if you were, if you were following that tradition, would, would be... Uh, something that was determined astronomically as opposed to just uh, the date on the calendar. So, yeah, it could very well have been last Wednesday, yeah. Well, it began last Wednesday. Right. It's a season of weird right now. The magical season. Well, we can get, we can, see, we've turned it into a negative sort of a connotation mm -hmm. in our time. You're mm -hmm. scared. Well, not negative. I like being scared, don't you? Yeah, something, there's, there's, a, uh, there's certainly a, uh, an energy there, too, no doubt about it. Well, when I was a kid, you know, I don't remember uh, the, uh, the the so-called alleged Christian holidays. I remember Halloween. That's when we really had a lot of fun. And when I was oh, a kid, man. when I was a kid back in the fifties, uh, trick or treat really meant that. <laughs> you know, we'd all oh, yeah. rove in packs around our little neighborhood in Holiday, Utah. And even though Holiday, Utah, was a very um, theocratical sort of a society there with the Mormon influence. Boy, on Halloween, we'd get wild. We'd let it all go. And uh, uh, we'd ask for treats, hoping they wouldn't give us any. <laughs> and then you could pull the trick out. Right? <laughs> and then we could pull the trick on them. And we did the uh, we did the thing, you know, where you stand on either side of the road like you're holding a rope or something, and the cars <laughs> are come screeching to a halt. <laughs> <laughs> One Halloween in the old days, the, uh, uh, it used to be the rule of the West that if you if you stepped on a, on, on private property and the, and the old boy didn't want you out there, you know, it was okay for him to pull out his shotgun loaded with the, the rock salt, you know, and pepper you in the butt as you're making a hasty getaway. Oh yeah, yeah we yeah we did similar things. Kind of funny. I I think back to the how and I feel exactly the same way. Halloween was this. Uh, was this holiday for for me and my friends as a kid, and even like when I was, you know, as a, as a young teenager. Oh man, I mean, it was probably the funnest night of the year. And we did the same stuff as you. We did some real nasty things sometimes. <laughs> well, old man P, I'll call him. That was his first initial of his name, old man P. Right. <laughs> he 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 had rock salted most of us boys, one time or another. Uh, he had an interesting place, kind of down in the woods, and we all liked to go down there with our BB guns play hunter but uh so uh one one halloween night we we uh he'd come home late from the bars at night and he'd have to cross this bridge and uh, uh a fairly sturdy little creek you know even in the in, even in the late autumn right and uh so my friend R. <laughs> Names have been changed. And my friend B. <laughs> we decided to uh, do a Halloween stunt, so we got some old headlights and connected them to a battery and plunked it right in the middle of the bridge. See? <laughs> and then when we saw him trundling down the road in his old pick em up truck, we, just as he approached the bridge, we turned him on right. <laughs> so old man P. He he did a 
quick spin of the wheel and went over the edge of the creek and there over the edge of the bridge into the creek laying on its side down there with the water gurgling in the cab of his truck. So my friend R, he, he went, oh my gosh. He jumped over there. We were sturdy boys and he reached reached in and pulled old man P out of the out of the cab of the truck uh, which which by the way old man P was forever grateful to my friend R and in fact uh, I believe R got a merit badge for bravery <laughs> boy scouts that's like that's like the, the chick that starts the forest fire so she can go put it out yeah <laughs> oh and R one night there there was this uh, we had a teacher that looked like the witch in the Wizard of Oz. Right. And uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. And she acted like her, too. So my friend R one night rigged up in his dad's shop, rigged up a little harness with a hook on it. And then Halloween night, he hung himself from her front porch. (laughs) And then spit some ketchup out the side of his mouth. Of course, that we rang the doorbell before the main event. Of place, course, and she passed out. Oh man, how funny! So yep. don't do any of these things. It's all illegal now. Yeah, I mean the stuff, uh, the stuff that we used to do. I think if we did that today, or if kids did that today, they're in, they're, and they get caught, they're it's the end of their life, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean John Ashcroft will have them. They're done. Forget it. And we actually tipped over uh, outhouses with people in them. <laughs> no, we did that before. I did that on a golf course once. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, hey, uh, Kent. Before I before I forget, uh, actually, I'll, I'll introduce you to somebody here who's in the studio with me. A gentleman named Jeff Wheeler, who's a fan of the program, and also uh, a gentleman who does his own show on the uh, on the station here. Jeff's on the other mic over there. Say hi, Jeff. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? I'm doing great. Doing great. And uh, also. Um, for those listeners who are listening over the web, or who will be listening over the web when I get this uh, uh, when I get this show up in the next day or two, that uh, intro music that you heard right before we brought Kent on the air was written by a friend of ours whose name is uh, Martin, and uh, Martin is a. Uh, Lives out in the United Kingdom, but actually, uh, I think he is moving to the States now, right, Ken? He's living out in New Jersey, and he's getting married on Monday. So I want to say hi to Marty, and uh, thanks for the intro music. It's real cool, and um, and congratulations on your upcoming... Uh, I don't. I don't want to say marriage, but I guess that's what we'll call it. Nuptials. Yes, your upcoming nuptials. So, anyway. Well, guys, uh, we really do have a, a, a group around the pot belly stove here. What's it like there in Missouri tonight? Well, the it's kind of uh, cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. We have the. Uh, we finally have clear skies. We didn't. We. We. Unlike you, we weren't able to see the. Uh, to see the eclipse. Uh, on Wednesday night because we've had cloudy skies for most of the week, but it cleared up today, and we have nice clear skies tonight. we got maybe a three-quarter moon that's rising up there above the city right now, and we're right in downtown. And, it, and actually, when the moon was rising at around 10 o'clock or so, it was really cool. It was sort of like an orangish, like a pumpkin moon. And, uh, it's a waning gibbous. Ah, the waning gibbous moon. There we go. See, Jeff, pumpkin the, moon. The pumpkin moon. pumpkin moon. That's what Sam Hain calls it. That's what Sam Hain calls it. Hey, Mike, what's it like out on your uh, farm now? I mean, uh, hey, Mike, he's got some stories out there. He's got this uh, <laughs> magical farm with a... With a, with a Ford 9N tractor, and he's got this pond. Here's a witchy story for you. He's got this pond, and in this pond is the Loch Ness Bass. 
right? That's right. I don't know. I, I'm not even sure what species of fish, but uh, we we we, we miss bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The saber-toothed, fire-breathing bass. <laughs> tell them, tell us about that. <clears throat> well. We have this. We have this small uh, little lake behind our house, and and I decided to, to try to start fishing it in the spring at the advice of my friend Kent Stead. And he said, "You gotta get out there and find out what's in that lake." And uh, so I I did, and I started fishing, and I caught some fish. And I'm not the best fisherman, but I just put a worm on a on a hook and throw it out there. And um, I have a hook li- attached to a pole. I yeah, hope. Yep, yep. I actually do have a pole as well. I I, I, I wasn't just holding the I string just see in my hand. Throwing hair. hooks out into the water. <laughs> Right, and they're eating them, but I just can't seem to bring them back in. So uh, anyway, I had this little boat, this little pedal boat, and so I pedaled out to, and I, I would move. I, I did this for a few weeks, and I would go to different parts of the uh, of the lake, and uh, and this one night I got to an area and I caught a big something. I don't know what it was, but it broke my line pretty handily, uh, and I was sitting there in my little boat thinking, man, what was that? Because it was really uh, something unlike anything that I had caught, and I'd been catching, you know, two, three-pound catfish and some pretty decent bass, and I'm, I'm familiar with a big fish when it's on my line, you know. So, anyway, I I went uh, the next day. I went to the store and I bought some of these steel leaders <laughs> that are these metal things that you put on the end of your line before you put the hook on, and uh, that way the fish, if it has uh, saber teeth like uh, Ken's talking about, they can't cut through your line. So uh, I got that thing attached, and I went right out there, Kent, and I went right back to the same spot. Big old night crawler on my worm, tossed it out there. I had my bobber sitting there, and no kidding, within 10 seconds of that thing hitting the water, that bobber just gone. And I started cranking that thing in, and this time I got it very close to the boat, and this little boat of mine, I'm just right on top of the water. It's like I'm right there. And uh, this son of a gun came right up to the surface, and splashed the heck out of me right in my face mm-hmm. with water, it busted my line again, and took off. And wow. I still don't know what it is or what it was. It might not even be a fish. Yeah, well, you know. So my, my wife calls it Nessie, and that's what, so that's, that, <laughs> that's what, that's what we're talking about here. So. I got a letter from Dr. Cornett, and he sent me some information on a, a creature that haunted the ancient Sumeria. In fact, may have been the forerunner of all of us, you know. Right. The the uh, the Celts call it the Fomorian, and they were aquatic or aquatic creatures. Okay, so sort of like the Nomos or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the Nomos. So they call them the Nagas. The Nagas, yeah. Nagas. That's a nasty sounding name. You know, and and uh, b- b- I'll let you continue, but Nagas is also in the uh, in the books like the in the Hindu books, the Mahabharata and uh, some of the uh, the the Hindu Vedics and the Nagas were considered the serpents. The Nagaracha was the great serpent god. Yeah, well, I've got this picture of a Nagas. It's pretty, pretty nasty-looking female here. <laughs> kind of a scaly with a serpent's head, and it's an actual sculpture from from uh, ancient Sumer. And uh, apparently, it's, it's supposed to be an accurate representation of the races who lived here before Inanna and her family acquired the planet. Now, tell 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 the listeners a little bit about Inanna and what the, what what that relates to. I know we're talking about ancient Sumeria, but maybe a little bit more about the history. Well, I think Inanna was the uh, or Ea sometimes called, which mm-hmm. which may be. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I may get this wrong, folks. You can correct me. So. 
and uh, but that she was the female Sumerian uh, goddess, and apparently, uh, according to the Sumerian Sumer myth, uh, they had something to do with the DNA manipulation of a, of a series of uh, little creatures on this planet that uh, later became us. <laughs> you know the the hobbits. <laughs> Right, which we, which which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. Maybe that story that came out last week about these tiny little uh, humans that uh, that were discovered on that island. So they're also called the Targzizians. Targzizians. The Targs, yeah, that's what they call them for short. The Targs. The whole habit, according to, they came in an egg-shaped mothership. <laughs> Orbiting Saturn from Saturn. There's yeah. one there now, apparently. Interesting that I was just talking about. I, I had a little trouble getting you, uh, getting your phone set up right, but because I, I, I wanted you to be on listening to the last story I did, last couple stories I did. But I, but I talked a little bit about uh, the Cassini mission and the fact that it's uh, uh, cruising around uh, Saturn's moon Titan right now and sending back some imagery. But uh, I, I, I added the caveat that. Who knows if we're really seeing everything that's uh, happening there, and or if those if those images are being being scrubbed uh, before they get out to the public uh, public domain, which is always a, a a concern of mine when it comes to the to these uh, government projects. So, well, let me toss this into the soup real quickly because I'm getting rumors, whispery rumors. They're so they're so covert that I can't even hardly rephrase it because the guy that sent me the rumors is so nervous. That he said, don't even mention it, so I won't. I'm not mentioning it. <laughs> I'm not mentioning the uh, the possibility that there's some weird stuff going on with NASA right now. Such as? Well, uh, let me put it this way. Don't want to get the guy in trouble. Right, right. That's cool. Uh, watch the Soho website. Now, the Soho website is where uh, we are able to view the sun through a spacecraft that's in an Earth orbit about a million miles out, focused on the sun. So watch the SOHO website and watch other NASA websites, uh, including the Mars rover and so on. Mm -hmm. Just watch them. Okay. You know, Keep I, an eye on them. See what happens. Well, you know, you, you and I watch SOHO pretty close anyway. And uh, I, was, I, I mentioned uh, earlier that we had, uh, we had a... We had a uh, an X-class flare earlier today, um, even though it might not have been a super powerful one, just s sort of on the low end of that scale. But an X-class flare, nonetheless, is a is a giant flare uh, of any magnitude in the X range, and uh, and we've got some got some big sunspots rolling around. So activity seems to be kind of picking up on the sun, uh, where where it's been pretty pretty mild and uh, pretty mellow for the last couple months or so. Well, for the last uh, quite some time. Uh, uh, uh a half of a quarter of a century, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> half of a quarter of a century, I think that's 12 and a half years. <laughs> I've been, uh, since I retired from a, a art, an art professor hood at Fresno City College, I had, and my wife bought a computer, so I went on the net to con continue my cultural assignment, which I believe is valid, and that's to... For the creative beings, the artists, the poets, and the musicians, uh, our job is to go out on on the edge, so to speak, and uh, uh, scout around and see what's out there that might be unusual. And that's what I've been doing on cyberspaceorbit.com. And uh, uh, well, I, I've said this before. I'm like an old hound dog. 
sniffing around out in the in the fringe in the twilight zone and when i see weird things i'll try to drag them back and i kind of randomly plunk them on my website uh, without too much commentary but i'm a visualist so i, I make it visual and if you go to cyberspaceorbit.com you'll see the latest uh, you'll be able to participate with us and see the latest flare along with a bunch of other saw wind stuff sam hain stuff <laughs> right. and uh it's a pretty pronounced flare up in the uh uh sort of northern western solar disk and uh you, you can see it there it shows up pretty well it's this big armed flare that burst this afternoon but what we're getting is a railgun effect up there there have been a number of rather powerful this is supposed to be according to nasa this is supposed to be low <laughs> low tide on solar activity right right but now let me count them here one two three four five six seven eight nine significant flares including an x-class flare now these kind of they, they when they come like this, the, it's a possibility, and they're all CMEs, by the way, which means there's solar material that, that's being erped up in our direction. Correct, toward, correct. Toward Earth, and when they railgun like this, they kind of there's an additive effect, effect like jumping on a trampoline, hitting a sweet spot, so it kicks you way up, and uh, it's like woomba, 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 and they add into each other, and so I expect soon. To have a pretty powerful uh, electromagnetic disturbance on Earth that within the next uh, oh, 12 hours, we should hmm. see we should see the red lines going up in the uh, uh, the K index, right? The K index, and uh, which means uh, we'll see ghosts in the sky. Ghost. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good place to take a break, uh, Kent. We'll come back and let's talk a little bit more about uh, some of these uh, uh, some of these rumors that we're talking about, and we'll and we'll talk a little bit more about these satellites and and how we how we can have uh, uh, how people can watch these things for themselves, and um, and we'll just speculate a little bit on what we think's going on. We can touch on a lot of different things. We got a lot to talk about. I want to talk about uh, Grandfather Silo at some point too. So. Yes. Okay, uh, back in a minute. My guest is Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh, check him out on the web at C-Y-B-E-R-S-P-A-C-E-O-R-B-I-T, cyberspaceorbit.com. In the meantime, it's still All Hallows' Eve, or Sawain, and uh, we'll celebrate a little bit here. This is The Dead Souls by Nine Inch Nails.
Nine Inch Nails on Radio Orbit KOPN. Uh, this is Mike Hagen, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. My guest tonight is Kent Stedman. He's on the line with us from Seattle, Washington. Kent, the owner and operator and uh, brains behind cyberspaceorbit.com. Go check it out uh, while we're talking to Kent. If you get a chance, if you're in front of your computer, www.cyberspaceorbit.com. And real fast, before we get back to Kent, there was something that I meant to do. I want to. Uh, I got a lot of emails um, about the Joseph Chilton Pierce uh, interview that I aired last week. And uh, to all the people that sent those in, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And, yeah, he's a real interesting guy, and it's real... Uh, pertinent information, especially for those of us that have children. So thanks for the notes about Joseph Chilton Pierce. And you can always check out Joe Pierce at uh, uh, touchthefuture.org. That's touchthefuture.org. And also, uh, I want to say thank you uh, to Deborah in Kingdom City. And hello again. And also to uh, Henrique in Sweden, who's listening over the web, Kent. Uh, I wanted to tell you that there's a guy uh, named Henrique who sent me a real nice email because he... Uh, found one of our programs through your website and um, so anyway hello to Henrique if you're listening again uh, all around the world Radio Orbit right on so uh, anybody else listening over the web hi and thanks okay Kent yeah and I'd like to say howdy to any of my pals and readers of Cyberspace Orbit if you're out there if you're not out there now you will be as soon as Mike puts it all up on the internet yeah, then a, it will go out to the universe. What a thing, you know, Kent. What a thing the the, the web uh, has turned out to be, where 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 we can do this from 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 our little KOPN community access, run by a shoestring radio station here in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, you know, we can do this show like like we're doing right now. I have the opportunity, given the opportunity by the by the station, to do what I'm doing bring people like you on the air and all these other people and then within 24 48 hours we have this stuff up on the web uh without charge free access to anybody on the planet who's got a web connection yes and it gives us ordinary uh folks a chance to to toss our hat into the ring too or chop an onion into the stew because we can we can share our perceptions and our and our some people think that that's uh, that we're the unwashed, uh, useless eaters, so on, and that the news that we bring to the web, the perceptions and ideas we bring to the web aren't don't count, <laughs> right. and that only the mainstream news counts. But we do. Uh, we're all different, and especially tonight, and the night of Halloween, saw wind and. You know, the veils are thin. We can kind of cut it loose and uh, talk about things that are both inner and outer, and it's all right. It's sure. All right. And what I have on my website now, now let me read this. <clears throat> We've got the sun and the moon both uh, uh, acting up, and so the ancient these are the ancient Celtic uh, demigods, you know, uh, the sun and the moon, and they're, they're the if you if you can put in your mind's eye standing in the center of an ancient stone circle or in a, inside one of the, the megalithic mounds in the Boyne Valley, uh, they're all programmed to uh, react uh, to the position of the sun and the moon. And this eclipse, for instance, Stonehenge, was uh, designed to record a 
year eclipse cycle, which uh, we didn't rediscover until we deeply studied the. Uh, Gerald Hawkins, I believe, was the first one to deeply study the calculator of Stonehenge right. to determine this eclipse cycle. We didn't know it in our own time, but the ancients knew it. The ancients knew it. And they built these uh, impossible monuments using stones uh, quarried 250 miles away bigger than some of our best cranes can handle and somehow they uh, uh, inched them or floated them or whatever they did into place to make a very precise calculator and at certain times of the year the sun will rise over what's called the heel stone like the sight on your rifle and it will uh, 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 act like a, a clock, a calculator and it was very important the position of the sun and the moon to the ancient people, of course. And uh, right now we have both the sun and the moon speaking at us big time. The sun is tossing these railgun flares. The moon did its blood-red eclipse the other night. Right. So this is a, a Halloween, a saw wind, all Hallow's Eve that is the hallow tide, they also called it. Yeah, a significant one, perhaps. We've got the elections coming up in a couple days. You know, I don't, I don't typically talk politics on this show too much, but hard to... Uh, hard to avoid it right now it's just uh, this sort of looming thing on the horizon you know ken i wanted to tell you um i i spoke this afternoon with a guy whose name is sean montgomery and uh he's a canadian yeah and um he he's a documentary producer and stuff his primary focus is this guy royal raymond rife um that you and i have talked about in the past an uh, incredible medical uh a genius who has a real interesting story that we're going to talk about. But in any case, he's up there in Canada, and he spends uh, a lot of time in Europe as well. And he was telling me, he's like, Mike, he's like, I don't know if you guys know down there in the U.S. He's like, but the whole world is just looking at this election right now with and just walking on eggs. They're like, I mean, and he didn't particularly you know, um, make a point about this party or that party, but he really made it just the point to say, man, up in Canada and around the world, people are looking to the U.S. right now going, oh, just holding their breath. Yeah, and what have we got going for us? we got two candidates that are both members of the Halloween crew. <laughs> you might say the Skull and Bones out of Yale. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time maybe to talk about Skull and Bones a little bit. A pretty pretty, uh, pretty creepy little organization, for sure. Well, the, you know, I, I see it as kind of a brat society, really. Right, right. <laughs> brat society where... Uh, people that are already wealthy and financially important try to increase their importance by cooking up sort of a chippery chipmunk treehouse club society like we used to have when we were kids that is bound by uh, laws and these weird oaths <laughs> that they take in order to, to amplify their importance. Well, both of these candidates come out of the Skull and Bones and the Skull and Bones uh, it's a society that dates way back, you know, uh, kind of a pirate society. It goes back to the, the people that uh, that uh, allegedly tamed the West, you know, by stirring up trouble, selling guns, and slaving and stuff like that. Our, our, this country's elites, we have to really take a close look at them and figure out where their, their power and their wealth originally came from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and part of their practice is what you call the Hegelian philosophy right. in order to, 
to uh, make a lot of hard casts or stir up trouble, you know, playing both sides of the coin, burning both ends of the candle, causing all this turmoil everywhere, and then they profit from it in the process. Right, the whole problem-reaction-solution uh, thing. Uh, it cracks me up. One of our austere candidates is now making all of his... <laughs> All of his supporters swear an oath, unlike <laughs> the oath of allegiance to him. All right. This and is so, crazy. Uh, <laughs> that comes from this sort of this skullduggery that comes out of these secret societies that aren't so secret anymore. I bet they don't like that much, do they? Right. So you're swearing allegiance to uh, old W there, and... Uh, and you look look deeper into this uh, into this oathing, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean these guys these guys that that whether we call it a brat club or a fraternity or or a uh, or a secret society, whatever you want to call it, I think that uh, it's pretty clear uh, and in the public record that there is an oath that goes on there at least, and that these guys do make uh, a commitment. Uh, to each other and to the future of that organization. Yeah, and the oath goes like this. You know, here's a cool oath, and it's a good Halloween oath. So I'm gonna <clears throat> play some spooky music in your mind, and I'm gonna read this. I'm gonna read this oath. You ready? All right, take it. Binding myself under no less penalty than that of having my skull smote off and my brains exposed to the scorching rays of the noonday sun. Should I violate this my solemn obligation? There you yeah, go. man. Here, here's another one. This is a, a theocratic oath. I, I won't say who it is, but it, this is this is these are members of a uh, uh, the most powerful Christian church on the planet, and it goes like this. In confirmation of which I hereby dedicate my life, my soul, and all my corporeal powers with this dagger which I now receive, I will subscribe my name written in my own blood in testimony thereof, and should I prove false or weaken in my determination, may my brethren and fellow soldiers of the militia cut off my hands and my feet and my throat. From ear to ear, my belly open and sulfur burned therein with all the punishment that can be inflicted upon me on earth, and my soul be tortured by demons in an eternal hell forever. My God. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Halloween, everybody. Whoa. Here's another cool oath. This is the Illuminati oath. Shouldest thou become a traitor or perjurer, let the sword remind thee of each and all the members in arms against thee. Do not hope to find safety whithersoever thou mayest fly. Shame and remorse, as well as the vengeance of thine unknown brothers, will torture and pursue thee. Good grief. Good God. Now, when I was 12, <laughs> when I was 12 years old, I was a sworn member of the sinister He-Man, Woman-Haters, Daredevil, Bicycle Club. <laughs> right there in Utah. We had similar oaths. Right. We had similar oaths, but uh, you know, grown people doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think there's even a legal precedent that that, that that's that, that there's a question about. You know, when you take an oath to uh, um, to uphold the Constitution of the United States, whether you're running for president or Congress or or, or uh, you know any any particular public office, um, I think that 
if you've taken an oath previously uh, that, you know, for example, let's say we take an oath that says that any, any subsequent oaths that we take will be null and void. And there's a possibility that something like that is going on so how the, you know how how are we supposed to trust these people with the with with the constitution of our country when they may have taken an oath prior to the current one that basically says that they can't pay attention to any oaths that they took after the first one yeah well then there's a lot of our uh, cool cats you know the big shots that are uh, being knighted by the queen what kind of sure what kind of crap is that you know excuse the expression but they that's supposed to be uh a no-no under our constitution. Yet all these guys, you know, including uh, everyone from Bob Hope to the <laughs> to uh, oh, what's the name of our well, the current president's father. Yeah, and then uh, Alan Greenspan. Alan Greenspan, yeah, the head of the Federal Reserve. And the mayor of uh, what's his name? Giuliani. Giuliani. Right, right. They're right. all they're all knights of the Queen. Yeah, and the and the idea that that you know there's there's sort of a prevailing um, uh, consensus that the royal family in England is sort of just this figurehead, and they really wield no power. Yeah, it's and no big deal. It's no big it's a deal. social thing, right? It's a social tra-la, thing. Tra-la. Oh man, I mean, I mean that that that's that's uh, that's about as misled as we can be to think that. I think that 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 uh, that group of, of people is still wielding a tremendous amount of power on this planet. So. Well, on this Halloween night, you know, you wonder if they, what kind of gory oaths they swear to be in a queen's night, you know. Sure. Is it, is it a brave, noble thing, or is it a good... Now, when when we broke our rules of the He-Man, Woman, Haters, Daredevil, Bicycle Club, <laughs> our penalty was to be pantsed in front of Lucille Smith. And what did to be pantsed mean? <laughs> well, they, you know, they drop your drawers. <laughs> Uh, which was a horrible fate with obvious eternal consequences. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you'd rather get shot in the head with a BB gun. (laughs) (laughs) But now, let me say, if Lucille's out there, Lucille, you grew up not bad, gorgeous. Oh, really? She was one babe when she grew up, so... See, isn't that how the world works? (laughs) You know, 12-year-old. Well, these days, I don't know. Our whole thing was to, you know... In the summertime, we'd have these uh, uh, escalating battles and things like that. <laughs> right. And uh, we had our clubhouses. Our clubhouse got run over by the enemy. <laughs> so the secret society's dad's tractor one time, man. We had to bail out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you make the distinction between, you know, these clubs and, and uh, things that we do as kids. And then... Uh, the leaders of the of the world doing what haven't they got better things to do i mean they must be so dang bored that they have to but you know i get the impression that they're really afraid well i think that i think that's pretty obvious i think it's self-evident because the the only way you act the way these people act um is when you're afraid uh you know i mean fear is what drives all of this uh all of this stuff, but I don't know. Hard to say, but uh, but 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 like you like you point out, we've got it appears 
at least if you're interested in any of this uh, uh, this O thing and these secret society ideas and skull and bones, if you are interested in that, is one of the biggies. And if you look throughout the administration of the current president, you'll find uh, former uh, skull and bonesmen uh, in cabinet positions and in lots of uh, important positions throughout the government but the interesting thing is that uh, we've seen that historically for a long time and you're going to see it if John Kerry's in office as well so I don't know if is the deck stacked maybe um, but in the meantime uh, we'll keep watching the skies as well uh, for signs because it, it appears that uh, uh, these things sort of are mirrored in one another <laughs> what happens down here sort of seems to be mirrored in the heavens above sometimes the as above so below idea that we've talked about so much you know well they have so much power now that with their new, there are new weapon systems out there and oh, i mean that they have uh, awesome implications awesome implications to the point where they you know uh i was in the hospital with a guy 10 15 years ago and we both thought we were dying so we started talking this guy was a, a department of defense and uh, uh, you know he was telling me about disruptors uh, satellites that circle the earth that broadcast a certain frequency that they really meddle with our minds you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're, it, it, such things really do exist, and I'm inclined to think so, uh, because we are electromagnetic beings ourselves. We have brain waves, and if there's something that can elect- electronically in- interfere with our, I mean, TV is bad enough. Oh man! But if there's something that, 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 like a race, can electronically interfere with our brains, right? You know, uh, what are we doing? We're doing some weird puppetry dance, you know, to the to the tune of something we can't quite quite get a grasp on. And, and this, these type of things, of course, have been coming at us for centuries because uh, fear has always been a, a motivation. And you see it both coming from our politics, you know, our secular leaders, going way back into the Middle Ages. And that what's worse to me is that we get pounded by our religious institutions, too, you know. Right. If you don't behave yourself, child, you will spend eternity in eternal darkness. Right, right, right. I mean, just... <laughs> Thanks a lot. Right. To yeah. a child who's who's interested in nothing but play, you know, and you tell them if you do, do do what your heart tells you and what your and what your and what your biological imperative is making you do, you know, I mean, children don't do a lot of things out of will. They do it; they're biologically impelled to go and explore their world, you know, and uh, and to try to limit that and stop that and to uh, and to wrap it in a ball of fear and eternal damnation is just such a uh, uh, such an offense to our children, quite frankly. Yes, yeah, so you know, in my life, I've had things like that. Happen. I, in my adult life, I had a guy come and tell me that if I didn't change my ways, I was a hippie. <laughs> if I didn't <laughs> cease being a hippie, that I would die a horrible death <laughs> and, and burn in hell. I mean, he, this was an adult male, very seriously, coming from the halls of religion to out of his way, right. out in the country, to stop by my farm and knock on the door and tell me that. <laughs> Amazing. And when I was a child, it was worse. You know, it was worse. 
uh, have any of the rest of you out there, because you're a, a bit of a rebel and don't seem to understand things the way the status quo does, that you're possessed, but you ever been told you're possessed by the devil? <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, I actually I actually know for a fact that it, uh, that at least one of my listeners uh, has uh, has had exactly that happen, and and uh, and she's not alone, and there it's. Uh, there's persecution today, just like there, just like there was, uh, just like there's always been. Unfortunately, uh, now there's maybe a little bit of a thicker mask on it, and uh, it's hidden a little bit deeper in society. But it's still there, and uh, and 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 a lot of people have really had horrible experiences because of uh, because of some of the abuse and uh, um, and just the horrible things that are done to people just because of the, the, these. Oh, gosh, it's just very frustrating, you know what I mean? Well, yes, and it's Halloween, so we can talk about these these dark things and get away with it, I suppose. And maybe we're not being that positive. What can we do positive? Hobbits, they're positive. Well, let's talk. I'll tell you what. <laughs> let's, um... There's a magical, wonderful side to the All Hallows Eve out there, folks. And, and uh, we're being, uh, some of this wonder and awesomeness is being... Uh, coming at us from from the mainstream news right now. For instance, in, an, in a little island called Flores in Indonesia, they found what? Hobbits. Yeah, little people. Little people. And they lived in a time, they were about three feet tall. They lived in a time where they were surrounded by other little people people like pygmy elephants and if you go to cyberspaceorbit.com uh, I, I threw together a lot of uh, vignettes of uh, illustrations I put them all together a picture of a pygmy elephant and a reconstruction of what these little Floresians might look like the little hobbits from Indonesia and I had one I put a guy riding on the back of a pygmy elephant <laughs> and and uh, in the jungles, riding through the jungle, jungles, and you know this type of magic doesn't it stir something up in you like a memory? Oh, for me, when I when it, uh, especially when I, to be honest, uh, you know, I read the story, and a lot of the follow, and, and of course, immediately there was lots of controversy from lots of different, uh, uh, lots of different angles, you know, from archaeology and from the biologists and all kinds of arguing about was it really human and where does it fall and all, and all the sort of technical arguments. But um, as soon as I saw the image that you have on the front page at Orbit, um, and for anybody, if, if, if you're in front of your computer uh, or if you have access to it, go do go check it out because the image is what blew me away. As soon as I saw that uh, uh, the composite that you put together with that little fella riding on that uh, um, that little elephant, I was like, whoa, and it really did uh, strike a chord in me, you know? It does me too, like it's deep down in my DNA, uh, uh, it's got my chromosome strands vibrating here like a memory, the Middle Earth memory. You know, and you also have up on the web, uh, and intuitively so, I might say, the uh, the piece that is so good uh, called The Wee Folk, which was written by Buck Young, um, uh, even though that's not his real name. <laughs> but yeah, it goes like this. It's a very uh, elaborate piece, but I'll just read a clip from it. Right. So go to my, go to my gonna... web and click Buck Young so you can read the whole thing. Yeah, and someday I'm going to read the whole thing on the air, I think, because it's that good, and I think it's that worth hearing. But anyway, give us a little bit of it, Kent. 
quote. Here we go. Now there is little wild land left at all, and even that is shrinking at an unprecedented rate. There is simply not enough space for all the gnomes and elves, fawns and fairies, goblins, ogres, trolls and bogies, nymphs, sprites and dryads. So where are they? Are they dead? No. So where did they go? The answer is a bit surprising. They didn't go anywhere. We did. Huh. Wow. So let that sink in, folks, and read the rest of it. Read the rest of it. Okay, Ken, I tell you what, we got, uh, that's a good place to stop at the top of the hour here. We'll play a little music and we'll come back and we'll talk more about Halloween and, uh, Halloweenish type things and think about uh, what Kent just read and if you get a chance go read that piece by Buck Young because it will strike a chord in you um, as it did in me the first time I read it and and uh, and look at some of the pictures along with it and and just uh, let your mind sort of sort of uh, chomp on those for a few minutes okay in the meantime uh, we'll be back and what track do I want to play off of this Kent I want to say that it is the ninth track one two three four five six seven eight nine yeah this is uh, I've been trying to play a little Halloweenish type music and um, Halloween is also as we talked about earlier a celebration of the goddess so Here's one of my favorite goddesses. This is Liz Fair on Radio Orbit. We're with Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit. We'll be back in about five minutes.
Fair from Exile in Guyville. Ah, oh, music. Yeah. The muses, music. That's our that's our salvation, our true salvation, folks, is creativity. You know, uh, Kent, um, uh, Jeff's uh, Jeff's still with me here in the studio, and he's a musician as well, and uh, so he, all of us uh, that are on the on the line right now are familiar with that uh, uh, that. Um, that musical, uh, that musical, musical magic—I guess you call it. Well, so, I see it as a transportation to another place. You know, yeah. when, when I get into the that groove, and I'm there, and everybody else I'm playing with is there, and you're not where you are physically. You know, you're going somewhere else. I'm just convinced of that. I've had a peak experience like that. It was really astounding <laughs> to me. It happened once, really. I mean, I've had the inspirational moments of many of them playing music but one night in fact i went to fresno uh last week in order to see some musicians that i haven't seen for 20 years and uh we all sat down and played again picked kind of picked up where we left off even though we're all old coots now and the, the arthritis sort of interferes <laughs> with our musicianship yeah. And uh, but we yeah I've heard you guys play we played the old Celtic music scene now that's uh, that's where you can really see through the eyes of the ancients if you get into that music mm. you can you begin to see well anyway we discussed one night oh in the mid seventies we were all playing for uh, commissioned <laughs> to play for a, a party that was going on and it was a party full of attorneys. <laughs> Mostly and, and city people, you know, and we thought, oh boy, this is going to be interesting, because we were the raggly taggly musicians, and uh, but you know, we started playing at about midnight, and <laughs> bong, <laughs> uh, something happened. We locked in, our egos kind of melted. You know, you're struggling a little bit with each other's uh, music. We blended all of a sudden, locked in. And then we can't remember a darn thing. <laughs> Next thing we knew, the sun was coming up in the morning. And, I mean, it was a profound thing. Yeah. And uh, we were all calling each other in the next day. What happened? What happened? <laughs> and, uh, oddly, all those attorneys were all still there with wide-eyed listening to it. So uh, the muses played us. We weren't playing music right. anymore. The music <laughs> was playing us. Had that happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh in fact, uh, many times I, I think, you know, I'm not doing this. I'm a conduit for something else, right. you know, another energy somewhere. And uh, I, that's always a place that I look for, that I try to find. It's really magical, and we're in a magical night tonight. The veils are thin, and so yeah. that kind of recollection is really important to me. And after we mentioned that, we were playing for a small group and people in somebody's backyard. After we mentioned that, we kind of locked in again on the mm. thought of the inspiration of the thought and the memory. We locked in again and got a little taste of it again. It was really uh, wonderful. Yeah. You know, Ken, it kind of rem it kind of reminds me uh, when, when we've talked before about out of body experiences, and uh, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a similar um, uh, there's a similar thread there where you when that does happen and sometimes uh, at least the only time it's ever happened to me it was out of my control it was something that happened spontaneously and i think that you'd agree that that was the case with you too but um it's very difficult to 
get it when you want it, in other words. It, it sort of just seems to come, and when it happens, you've got to let it flow through you and do it. Um, but I've, I, I find it both incredibly uh, energizing at the same time frustrating because after you've been there and you've had it and you've experienced it, gosh, you want to do it again and you want to go back to right. that place. And uh, sometimes it's not quite as easy to get back as you'd like it to be, you know? Yeah, there's something. Uh, you know, we're a fierce warlike uh Merchant warrior people here in the West, <laughs> but and we and we give a lot of credence to willpower and uh, might and all that kind of stuff. But there's something to be said for surrender. Not not you can't just surrender. You can't say one, two, three. I surrender. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. But uh, it sometimes happens. Uh, you know. Yeah. It, you're in the right place at the right time, and, and, and the, your activity creates a kind of a uh, spiral or a vortex or something, and uh, you give way, and then something really beautiful comes. Mm. Gives me faith for the, <laughs> in the midst of all these crises and fears and everything that are being dumped at us all the time, that there's something really sublime uh, deep down inside of us all. Yeah. I'm in a band, uh, it's called C3, which stands for the Convergence Conspiracy Collective. <laughs> and uh, we only play four times a year, and that's during the solstices and the equinox, and, uh, because those are very powerful times. And, usually, and we don't know what we're going to play when we sit down. We just start playing. And uh, sometimes it's interesting, it's okay, but sometimes we hit that zone. And uh, yeah. it's... Uh, we figured if we played all the time, we would have, we wouldn't have those, those special moments. Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's the creative, uh, the creative idea in and of itself, and it doesn't matter, you know, if it's if it's music or if it's writing or if it's painting or if it's whatever it is that makes your heart sing, whatever that thing is. Um, it's interesting because in our, like you mentioned, Kent, in the Western. Uh, uh, consensus reality we talk about success and it's primarily uh, an economic indicator um, and we fail to give in my opinion credit enough credit to the arts and the creative side because when because everybody wants to experience these things that we're talking about even if they don't know it uh, because it's something that when it does happen to you, and we all know it because it's happened to us personally, but when that does happen, uh, that is something that uh, that you want everybody else to be able to experience too because it does put you in a place where the other really doesn't exist anymore. And this whole idea of the other is uh, what's been causing us so much difficulty on this planet for such a long time. Well, I, what I'll say to everybody out there, I was an art instructor for many years, and uh, also I moonlighted at night playing old-timey and Americana and Irish Celtic music. And uh, my soapbox throughout the whole thing was, come on, folks, just do it. Just do it. In the old days, they'd have house parties in Ireland and uh, in early America. They'd have house parties. Everybody would show up on a Saturday night, and they'd play what they could. Right, and there was no uh, there was no radio, there was no CD player, so they kind of just everybody just jumped in. In our band last week in Fresno, we made a special deal to to call a little fellow who is uh, born somewhat disabled, but he's the hottest 
spoon player probably in the entire universe. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, you know, his rhythm was just profound for all of us. And uh, uh, what I'm saying is, you know, go get a musical instrument. Uh, I play the lap dulcimer, an Appalachian dulcimer. It's an hourglass-shaped instrument that sits on your lap, and it has four strings. And uh, you tune them up uh, to an open tuning, and uh, uh, if you lay your finger on the inside strings, you can just play them and allow the rest to drone. And what I'm indicating here is it makes music available to a lot of people. If, you, if you'll, uh, you don't need to start complicated. You know, a guitar, for is, for instance, is a very complex instrument. Mm -hmm. Get a dulcimer to start with. Yeah. And uh, even then, you can take the dulcimer into the Renaissance music and the Middle Eastern music, all kinds of music. Oh, yeah, the, the dulcimer is a pretty versatile instrument. It has a beautiful actual sound to it, too. You, you, you turned me on to the dulcimer a couple of years ago, and... Uh, in fact, right now, Kent has my dulcimer because I broke it on the plane, and then I stole one of his, and I got his at my house right now. Well, I have one, too, so well, well, I have I'd, to have a jam session. Yeah, and the, the dulcimer, I've only been playing it for a short time, but I can make it sound pretty good, and uh, it doesn't, uh, it's not, like Kent says, it's not a real complicated instrument, but there's lots of things like that. Jeff's a great drummer, uh, and, um, you know, buy a, buy a little set of conga drums or something yeah. and just uh, start listening to rhythms, and, man, you can have a great time on drums. You can yeah. buy a djembe, you know, or for about a hundred dollars, a decent, you know, right. African drum. So anyway, there, there are all these opportunities to express the creative side in a, in us, um, and whether it's we we happen to be musicians here, but certainly uh, other outlets that are creative are are as valid, I think. Uh, but the key is to tap into that, and uh, and and these peak experiences and these epiphany moments and things that we talk about, uh, they will come and they'll happen. But you have to uh, get away from the intellectual side for a while, in order to uh, in order to to uh, to facilitate that. At least in my experience. So here's one thing. Uh, you know, uh, to play an instrument, especially a string instrument, you have to tune the be able to tune the darn thing. Yeah, which is impossible. You can never tune it, <laughs> you know, because it's a continuum. You can't actually, you can get close. <laughs> you can get close, but I don't think it's possible really practically to really tune an instrument. But I, here's what I did. Uh, when I was teaching art, I offered as an option in my mega class, which I was teaching 200 people in art appreciation. <laughs> and I, my theory was to try to get them to be creative. And so one of the options I offered them was to hand build a, a lap dulcimer, an Appalachian dulcimer. Well, I was teaching two classes, so that's around 400 people. And see, inside, I wanted to, my own uh, uh, plan was to. Uh, hear what 400 dulcimers sounded like all at once. <laughs> now, wow. Four times 400, that's 1,600 strings, right? Mm. So they built these... Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people went for that option, and we had a whole passel of dulcimers, and then they we showed up on the day of the final, and I said, okay, uh, let's try to tune them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that didn't work out so good. We're, we're, but here's what I learned. Here's what I learned. When you get a couple of hundred dulcimers going, it doesn't matter how you do them. And if you play them all at once, you know, 400 
dulcimers, 200 dulcimers. That's a lot of strings. Play them all at once. It doesn't matter where they're tuned. Yeah. What comes out is okay. I mean, it's in tune. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's in tune. Wow. All right. Hey, uh, Ken, I think we're going to take another short break here. I want to do a little, uh, i got to take care of some FCC uh, requirements here. So let me do a station ID and uh, play a song, and we'll be back in uh, just a few minutes with my guest, Kent Stedman. A pleasure, as always, from cyberspaceorbit.com. Uh, check him out on the web, and uh, you can follow along. We've been talking about Halloween and uh, some of the traditions and mythologies of Halloween and the history of the uh, holiday, and we're also talking about music and lots of other different things, uh, hobbits. And hey, Ken, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about let's get back to the hobbit thing a little bit, and, and uh, do me a favor, and maybe we could go a little bit o- over the, the Tolkien history, because a lot of people don't know uh, too much about J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. Okay, uh, back in a minute, you're listening to Radio Orbit, and uh, this is Mike. I got Jeff Wheeler, my buddy, in the studio with me, and I appreciate him hanging out. And uh, we're lucky enough to have Kent Stedman on the phone back in a minute. And what are we listening to here? I don't know. Whatever is I have that, uh, to Brian Eno and I, uh, David Byrne? Yeah, Brian Eno and David Byrne from... How long, uh, how long is the break? I think I'll go outside and sniff the air. Oh, you got, you got five minutes. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, see you in a minute. Cool. Uh, Brian Eno from, uh, uh, with David Byrne, yeah, from My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. Yeah. This is America is Waiting. Excellent yeah. stuff. I mean, it's appropriate. All right, here it's we so go. appropriate. America is waiting for a message of some sort or another.
Brian Eno with some help from David Byrne there. That's America's Waiting. Great stuff. From the CD, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts. All right. Uh, this is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It is uh, about 4.15, and you're on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri Source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio, it's community radio, and it's also the home of Radio Orbit. And uh, you're listening to it, KOPN, Columbia, Lake Ozark, Rocheport, Kingdom City, Easley, Clark, Centralia, High Point, Ashland, Ovas, Lupus, and all points around mid-Missouri. And uh, we've got about 45 minutes left uh, on the program tonight at uh, 5 o'clock. Carol Greenspan comes in doing Jewish Spectrum, playing some lovely music for you, as she does every week from 5 o'clock till 7 o'clock. And in the meantime, I've got my friend and colleague, Kent Stedman, on the telephone. We've been talking about lots of interesting stuff on this All Hallows' Eve, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this discovery on the island of Flores uh, off the coast of Fiji. And... Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the history of the word hobbit and a little bit about J.R.R. Tolkien and what he was really about and how he came up with some of the ideas that he had. So, uh, Kent, are you back here with us? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I went outside to check out the scenery. And uh, I'm back. All right. Well, cool. Hey, um, I think uh, I think Jeff is getting ready to take off here, so we'll say goodbye to him real fast. And uh, he was uh, nice enough to stick around, hang around the studio for a little while with us. So, yeah, all right. Sure. Good talking with you. Good talking with you, Jeff. Hope we get to jam someday. Yeah, definitely. Like you play, what kind of? Do you play blues? Uh, he does. He, he didn't have his uh, phones on, but he's oh. not really a blues player. He actually, um, uh, Jeff does uh, writes a lot of his own music, but he does some techno stuff and uh, play, he's a great drummer. And uh, I'll let him jump in here. Yeah, so. electronics uh, stuff like that. Oh man, that's great. Yeah, love all kinds of, of music. Yeah, well, the band that I'm in, uh, we're a jam. Uh, uh, improv band, so we have no idea what we're going to do. We just sit down and start jamming. The best way is. <laughs> it's fun. It's a blast. Improv- Good talking with you. Nice talking with you. Too. Yeah, we'll get you out here one of these days, Kent, and uh, and we'll we'll go out to the farm and uh, we'll sit around and we'll do the real thing around yeah. the fire. So. Yeah. Okay. Thanks again, Jeff. Take care. Take care. See you, Jeff. All right, Kent. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, Tolkien. We've been talking about these little people and uh, and how they've been nicknamed the Hobbits. What what's the story behind the real story of uh, of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and all that stuff? <clears throat> well, it, you know, the Ring mythology apparently really exists in the ancient Anglo-Saxon uh, tradition. And what uh, uh, Tolkien was was he's a study of the ancient languages. And you know, when people first walked a bit away from the oral tradition and started writing stuff down. Look what they wrote. They wrote about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. They wrote about the fairy princes. They wrote about the Beowulf. Right, right, right. And so that kind of uh, uh, reality was extremely important to them. And what he was trying to do was, I guess there's a lot of head thumping that went down in the aisles there. And uh, the Anglo-Saxon tradition, uh, the real one, <laughs> and sort of uh, disappeared. He was trying to restore it. And in the process of restoring it, he, he got into sort of an intuitive space as well as an academic space. And uh, he got his right brain and his left brain. <laughs> working together, huh? 
synchronized, and what came out was this marvelous uh, uh, tale, which which sure seems true to me. True to me. I mean, there's something in the Tolkien mythology, the battle between the dark forces and the light forces, which is essentially, you know, nowadays I see it as a battle of hard technology, battle of soft technology. Sure. And uh, yeah, the, the the man against nature. <clears throat> but uh, when I when it what what Tolkien does, or uh, I've written a little bit too, and I like to write in the fantasy realm because it gives me all this freedom. And uh, even though I might try to mix some historical or autobiographical biographical content with my uh, the spell of the fantasy, I like to do that because what it does is it makes me be more me, you know. Mm, yeah. And who is a me? Who are we? You mm-hmm. know? Who are we? We're we're hamburger land beings, corporeal beings that are subject to all kinds of laws, rules, and regulations. <laughs> but also, we are electromagnetic beings, right? And that that are really untethered. We have an imagination, which is what, which is what really makes us human, you know. Right. That's what differentiates us from all the other creatures, except for some of them, maybe like the dolphins and the whales, who have a similar experience, I think. But, but yeah, we that that that's what that that's our defining characteristic. This idea of consciousness, you know. Oh, somebody told me a tale this week. This is astounding. Was it you? Somebody emailed me or told me that they they, they were in Hawaii. Ah, well, it's you know, Ken. It was it was me and uh, the show. A week from tonight, I'm doing a program uh, live from Hawaii with a um, a PhD marine biologist who's been working with dolphins and whales for the last thirty some years, and he was actually a um, a student of uh, Dr. John Lilly, of course, who you're familiar with. And um, uh, John Lilly was this uh, gentleman's mentor, and his name is Dr. Michael Heisen. And uh, Dr. Heisen has been working with dolphins and whales, uh, dolphins and whales, and they've had um, incredible uh, things happening. And they're 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 literally uh, they're working with dolphins in the wild. These dolphins are willing participants in all of this. Uh, they come and go as they please, um, but they're working with ch- among other things. They're working with children. And uh, they seem to be seeing a healing effect um, of children who have, among other things, um, uh, neurological disorders such as can't uh, I can't think of it right now. But um, in any case, they're having tremendous success with the children and, and these dolphins. And they're also doing communication studies and uh, intelligence studies. And these creatures are unbelievable, Ken. Yeah, and uh, there was something about a, uh, they had a home birthing on the beach. Well, yeah, one of the, the one of the uh, one of Dr. Heisen's associates is a woman who recently had her second son just a few months ago, and she had the birth right there on the beach in Hawaii in the water. And uh, 300 or so uh, dolphins showed up um, for the birth, and uh, and they knew exactly what was happening. And in fact, it was a big celebration for them, and they wanted to be a part of this uh, because they're creating a whole community there uh, between humans and dolphins and literally carrying on in the in in the in the flesh what uh, what John Lilly uh, always dreamed of you know well now see that's the true aspect of all hallows eve i think you know in the ancient tradition it's a magical 
time. And uh, even though we talked about some scary stuff earlier on, which seemed a bit of a drag. <laughs> and, and Kent, by the way, I, I meant to say cerebral palsy. That's what I couldn't come oh. up with a few minutes ago. But these children have cerebral palsy, and they're and they're showing. Uh, incredible um, results working with these dolphins and they do it through sonar right they do it through manipulation at a cellular level using sound waves <laughs> man so anyway anyway go on, go on. That, that this is the magical aspect of living on earth people is that if we can integrate into our natural surroundings then then the sublime begins to happen and the way I do that as a creative is I cut loose my imagination. You know, I'll let it expand out and out and go up through the ceiling and up into the atmosphere. <laughs> I'll go out into the stars. I'll look back down on Earth. You know, all those weird things we can do. We can do it. You can do it right now. You, you can be viewing the Earth from space. You know, you can go back and forth through time. And if you uh, allow yourself this uh, privilege which is a birthright. Mm -hmm. Like music is a birthright. Sure. Like art is a birthright. We get we get this stuff pounded out of us, unfortunately. But it's a birthright to be a, a expanding, creative being. And uh, you can travel through time. And when you travel through time, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> at least in my experience, you can touch something that's beautiful and sublime. And when I see this picture of the Hobbit, you know, riding this pygmy elephant through, mm -hmm. these, through these lush jungles, it, it, it touches something within myself. I go back to something deeply uh, uh, encoded in my my own DNA, back to a time when we were all kind of tribal, lived in families. Families weren't separated. We spent our time on this earth being together and loving each other in a natural environment. Right. And... Uh, uh, there are the little people, you know. And we know about little people. We were all once little people. <laughs> mm -hmm. We were all once little people. And, and some of us, I believe this to be true, and it's true in my case, we carry uh, sometimes a memory that goes back through time even beyond our birth. Uh, I have uh, my daughter's that way. She can remember the time before birth. And uh, maybe uh, maybe that's what Middle Earth is. <laughs> A pre, a pre existence, uh, and a beautiful time, and that's where mm -hmm. the hobbits were. Mm -hmm. and maybe there were dragons, and maybe there were mm -hmm. giants. What about giants? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, all, all, so many of these legendary stories and mythological stories that that we that have been relegated to uh, to fiction. Um, more and more, we find out. And it's proven scientifically that many of them were real stories, uh, and uh, and they were relations of people's real experiences, and and uh, and and certainly uh, with a bit of literary literary license uh, at uh, at times and things. But certainly there is also very very valid factual information in all of these records. Well, the proof to the pudding to me, is I like this. You know, I like to look at science and I like to look at mythology both. Right. And at times it seems like the scientist is battling the mythologist for mm. dominance, at least in our culture. But I don't see 
uh, I don't understand the big fight. Uh, for one thing, the myth endures. It endures. It carries on and on and on where the scientific theory, the, the axiom, the law that will be eclipsed in a very short time and give way to something else. Right. Whereas the myth endures. And one of these myths is the fairy myth, the elves, the myth of elves, which is a, which is a, a universal, I think. You know, every culture has. In fact, if folks, we live in a in a very odd civilization. In the bubble of our civilization, the uh, materialistic sort of bent we have on things is very untypical and uncommon to the way people think in the other part of the world right. and the way people have thought through history. You know, we live in an odd time and an odd bubble of reality. And if you talk to, for instance, here's a tale I'll tell you. On a, on, pull your chairs up a little closer to the wooden stove. <laughs> here's a tale I'll tell you. This All right. One. Listen up, folks. These are always good. <laughs> uh, I go down, I tromp down in the morning to a little gas station where I get my morning supplies sometimes. And down there is a really penetrating, intelligent, very wise old man down there that runs this gas station. <laughs> This a uh, convenience store gas station, and uh, well, he's a Kurd. He's a Kurd from northern Iraq, and here's his tale. He he spent a lot of his life, his living was uh, like a park ranger. Best correspondent we have here. Okay. He's a park ranger, and in the season, the seasonable times of the year. He'd, he and his horse and his dog would go trotting off. They'd have a certain route up to the mountainous areas of northern Iraq where he'd kind of keep an eye on antiquities. And, of course, ancient <coughs> Iraq is the, you know, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of of cultural development and cultural reality. Well, anyway, you know, when you get to talking to this guy and you realize... <coughs> Uh, the different play of realities in different parts of the world. He discovered in the mountains of northern Iraq, he discovered a tomb. A tomb. As in a burial? Uh, as in a burial. Okay. And it was like a, a cauldron-like uh, uh, crypt, so to speak, on the hip of a mountain where there were remnants of a... <clears throat> Uh, an, an ancient, almost nameless civilization. He didn't even know who they were. They go back through into time, uh, way back, maybe pre-Sumerian. Right. And uh, so he knew he, he was onto something. He was a little bit afraid, and uh, he didn't open the tomb at that time. But he got some other people that were uh, anthropologists. Uh, uh, to accompany him on a on a later date, and they went up and opened that tomb. Hmm. And in this cauldron-like vessel was a burial. And in this burial was a twelve-foot giant, twelve-foot foot giant. giant. And he demonstrated. He said the skull in that thing. He held his hands apart, <laughs> like about three feet apart. And he said the skull on the thing was this big. And I said, well, you know, I'm aware of the Neanderthal tombs up in the mountains of northern Iraq. I said, well, was it in Neanderthal? 
said, no. He said it was a, a very big and very uh, refined type of a skeletal structure, you mm -hmm. know, with a high forehead and all that. Right. And uh, I said, well, he said, now here's his rub. I wish I could talk him into it but he's a little bit he said it was very he felt and that the other in his party suddenly felt that this was an, an, an a dangerous find now I don't know what that means hmm. it would be a threat to a lot of thinking in his area and probably a lot of thinking as far as the whole world is concerned yeah I don't think anybody's going to be uh, too thrilled finding out about 12-foot giants in our history, although although they are documented again in the, mytholo in the myth mythological record. Um, and in fact, I think on orbit, uh, on cyberspaceorbit.com a while back, maybe, I don't know, within the last couple of years, I know that, uh, that you had an investigation um, about that exact thing. There's all kinds of, uh, uh, of stories and mythologies and archaeological evidence that talks about uh, at some point in the past, these very, very big <laughs> uh, humans that uh, were here at some time. Yeah, I asked him more about that, and uh, he said, yes. You know, in the ancient Assyrian murals and so on, uh, you see pictures of, well, when I was a kid, I watched Flash Gordon. <laughs> sure, sure. And in Flash Gordon, there was a race of beings called the Vulcans, you know, who had wings. Well, that's what these guys look like. They're these big winged beings, you know, the Assyrian gods with, bearded, with the braided beard and the, and the wings extending out and back. And, right, uh, right, right. and there's one picture that really gets me that, that where the guy is wearing like a wristwatch. It's very strange, isn't it? Uh, this Kurd fellow told me, yeah, there's indications in this tomb that they came from a very advanced, not a primitive, but an advanced culture. I don't know what he, hmm. quite what he meant. And this would have probably predated Sumer. Yes. Okay. And it, but he said that those beings, according to their local beliefs up there, those beings still, still exist. I wonder if that's related to the concept of the jinn. I know that you're familiar with that, too. Is that related, or is that something separate again? Well, the jinn, uh, I've always sort of thought of as a... Uh, uh, the uh, Within the Muslim religion, they accommodate another race of beings that live parallel, sort of in a different phase. Right, a different dimension or something, yeah. A different fa out of phase with this world. But know? they have access to it or something, right? Well, not only they have access to it, but they have very specific laws ah. that, that protect the gym, protect their sites, and the, the, you know, very intricate laws on how the human beings should interface with the gym. <clears throat> but now, in this case, it sounds like more of a corporeal being or a being that can travel back and forth between the hamburger land and the uh, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the electromagnetic land. Okay. Okay. The land of the L, as we say, yeah. Yeah, through through what? A portal, a stargate, something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, but he said they, yeah, he said they still exist, and it's common belief or common understanding from in the, where he came from that they are, are valid, real 
beings that interface with uh, humans occasionally. Hmm. You know, there'll be a, a a locking that can take place between one world and the next. Uh -huh. Does he ever mention, uh, in other words, to what end? You know, do they have an agenda or are they just uh, um, regular old beings like us just doing their own thing? Or, or do we, is there any more that we know about it? Well, I haven't quite figured it out, except that he seems to regard them with a certain amount of awe, mm -hmm. as though they have uh, abilities that we don't have. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder what they're up to these days. I wonder what they're up to. I wonder if they're helping us, or hurting us, or just not even interacting and just doing their own thing. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, sometimes I think our sciences, our own sciences, our Western scientists that recently particularly are almost tapping into unseen realms. Uh, we're about 50 years behind in our understanding, I think, of what science is up to nowadays. And uh, it's all a form of wizardry. Mm -hmm. You approach it from mm -hmm. the Western tradition or from the Eastern tradition. It's a form of wizardry, and mm -hmm. we're seeing some darn strange things right now. <laughs> really strange things. Mm -hmm. In our weather. Oh, boy. We talked about this in other shows. We're seeing these witch storms coming with uh, these hurricanes that pounded the coast, Florida, and so and the, in the center of these massive hurricanes were like pentagonal geometric eyes. Yeah, we talked about it before. Crazy stuff we've seen in the eyes of these hurricanes, and and since that conversation that we had, Kent, we did touch a little bit on scalars and that. You've uh You've come into contact with another guy uh, who's doing some pretty interesting research with regard to all that, a, a, an actual uh, a professional weatherman there up in the Seattle area, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you should have him on the show because he brings a, a, a great amount of research that comes from his study of meteorology into this whole thing. Right, right, right. And this guy's a mainstream weatherman. He's on the, he's on the freaking television every night doing the weather. Yeah, and if you look at cyberspaceorbit.com, you'll see a link to his site. His name's uh, Scott Stevens. I have it posted here in big letters. And he has he has a, a website now called Weather Wars. And he, he he's, you know, he's actually be, begun to predict the weather by watching what he feels is an artificial overlay over some of our weather systems. And uh, to the point he's made the statement that the whole, all of our weather systems have been Digitized. Yeah, in fact, I remember that, that, that first statement that he made, he, and I actually got a kick out of it. He said that uh, he was now using scalar signatures to better improve his forecasting ability. <laughs> I thought that was great. Well, get this. John Joseph Kennedy, one of the Kennedy kids, he's running for president, by the way. Really? Yeah. I've got this, list, I've got this listed, too. He says that... that, that some of these weather systems are man-made by the Bush family. He names them. Oh, my The God. Bush family administration, he says, America is under attack. Bush Sr. has manipulated the elements to wreak havoc on Florida, America, and the world for their personal financial gain and to throw the, the American people off balance before the election. Man, you know... Kennedy what? said adamantly. My God, uh... Is, is there a link to that to that story somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, go check that out at cyberspaceorbit.com. You know, Kent, it's, it's amazing because, uh, you know, our friend, um, uh, I won't name her by name, but our, our Beltway friend out there uh, in, 
in Maryland. She has done some very interesting research recently uh, along her uh, investigative path, and she is in the, I mean, she is in it, Kent, you know, and I know you know that, but in any case, uh, she has done a little bit more research recently on Carlisle, and um, I think that she would probably be able to, to uh, present some supporting evidence of uh, Mr. Kennedy's statement. John Joseph Kennedy says, quote, I have been tracking the hurricanes this past season with keen interest. And he says, I have been privy to intelligence from the highest sources and the American Red Cross, thus confirming my suspicions. These hurricanes are all man-made. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the military came out several years ago with, uh, what was the name of the, the Air Force, uh, Oh, uh, controlling the weather. Uh, it was called weather as a force multiplier. Yes. Controlling the weather in 2025, I think, was how they titled it. But of course, that's for public consumption. So. Yeah. So we can, you know, read about all this wild stuff. And the thing is, uh, we have to adjust to a new kind of physics, almost. So, well, it isn't really new. It's old. Right. Right. I mean, it's the it's the whole idea of. Well, anyway, we we're, we're, Tesla. Yeah, you damn right. And you know what? Um, that 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 I've and I'm. It's really under my skin right now because I've been I've I've been in a number of debates recently uh, with people about energy and about physics and um, the the idea that electricity and gravity, uh, you know, had a relationship uh, has been denied for. A long, long time, but that's a big part of this is, uh, you know, electrogravitics. And I think that it has to do with um, with freedom, Kent, you know? It, has to, it really has to do with freedom. And, and when you have an unlimited, uh, free, available, safe source of energy, well, that really, if that's something that the average person can experience, then true freedom really becomes available. And I think that that's against uh, the grain of some of the people who have an agenda where they really don't want people to be free. You know, Tesla really trips me out. <laughs> Tesla, you know, he's considered by many one of the greatest scientists uh, to initiate all the basic understandings of what we call electricity early mm-hmm. in the century. But mm-hmm. he, he was a strange guy. Some consider him a saint, very benign. And... Uh, but I'm reading a quote from Tesla right here, and this is a good quote for all Halloween, for the dark side of Halloween. I'll tell you what, Kent, we're, let's take a short break, and we'll come back with that quote from from uh, Nikola Tesla, and that way uh, we can, uh, we'll can we'll spend the last ten minutes of the show or whatever talking about that, and uh, we'll start with that quote, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, back in just a minute with uh, Kent Stedman from CyberspaceOrbit.com. Uh, Carol Greenspan coming up in 20 minutes with Jewish Spectrum and... In the meantime, this is oh, for Halloween. This is the Smashing Pumpkins on KOPN Radio Orbit. Back in a minute with Kent Stedman.
Smashing Pumpkins for Halloween on KOPN Radio Orbit. Maybe a little bit louder than I typically like to be this time in the morning. But uh, it's Halloween and I uh, wanted to get in something by the pumpkins. Uh, so anyway, uh, we've got about uh, 15 minutes left of the show. My guest is Kent Stedman. He's been with us for the last couple hours. And Kent uh, comes to us uh, every few weeks, once a month, maybe every six weeks or so. But comes on the program uh, to spend time with me and with you guys and we appreciate it as always um, we've been talking about Nikola Tesla and uh, Kent was just about to uh, further our knowledge about Mr. Tesla an amazing man and a historical figure in the United States and in Russia actually but anyway uh, Kent why don't you tell us a little bit more about Tesla no, he's born in Croatia part of the Austrian Hungarian Empire at the time I think he was a Serb mm-hmm. to say the truth but he, he single-handedly sort of pioneered a lot of our modern age now, especially when it comes to electricity. 
you know, say he was considered by many a great, great, great scientist in, in his own time, too. Right, sure. And well, anyway, from the autobiography of this great scientist, here we go. This is a, this is a orbit haunt. Now, this is let's clarify. This is from uh, from Nikola Tesla's autobiography. Yeah, I got a copy of it before it was really out on the internet too much. Amazing. All right, cool. And so I picked out some pieces to it. And here we go, Nikola Nikola Tesla. All right. I had two old aunts with wrinkled faces. One of them having two teeth protruding like the tusks of an elephant, <laughs> which she buried in my cheek every time she kissed me. In my boyhood, I suffered from a peculiar affliction due to the appearance of images often accompanied by strong flashes of light which marred the sight of real objects and interfered with my thoughts and action. They were pictures of things and scenes which I had really seen, never of those imagined, when a word was spoken to me, the image of the object it designated would present itself vividly to my vision, and sometimes I was quite unable to distinguish whether what I saw was tangible or not. He always wanted to make, this is me now, he always wanted to make a, a projector where, where you, one could project their thoughts on a screen. Right, right. He actually thought he could do it, too. He thought it was going to be a, something he could accomplish. Then I instinctively commenced this to make excursions beyond the limits of the small world of which I had knowledge, and I saw new scenes. These were at first very blurred and indistinct and would flit away when I tried to concentrate my attention upon them. But they gained in strength and distinctness and finally assumed the concreteness of real things. I soon discovered that my best comfort was attained if I simply went on in my vision further and further, getting new oppressions all the time. So... And so I began to travel, of course, in my mind. Every night and sometimes during the day when alone, I would start on my journey, see new places, cities and countries, live there, meet people, and make friendships and acquaintances. <laughs> and however unbelievable, it is a fact that they were just as dear to me as those in actual life and not a bit less intense in, in their manifestation. Wow. And then he talks about a time... That uh, says I was oppressed by thoughts of pain in life and death and religious fear. I was swayed by superstitious belief and lived in constant dread of the spirit of evil of ghosts and ogres and other unholy monsters of the dark. And he talks about a time when he was entombed in an, in an ancient cathedral. My gosh. He said, I was entombed for a night in an old chapel on an inaccessible mountain, which was visited only once a year. This is when I was a boy. It was an awful experience. When I left the forest, thousands of crows had gathered, making a frightful racket. In a few minutes, they rose in pursuit and soon enveloped me. Oh, boy. And then he talked about one time when he was very an old man. He said he could hear the ticking of a watch with three rooms between me and the timepiece. A fly alighting on a table in the room would cause a dull thud in my ears. <laughs> a carriage passing at a distance of a few miles fairly shook my whole body. He finally moved to Wyoming, you know, and built himself a, a place way up on the mountains away from the city. Right, a little shelter, yeah. The whistle of a locomotive 20 or 30 miles away made the bench or chair on which I sat vibrate so strongly 
the pain was unbearable. He had to support his bed on rubber cushions to get any rest at all. At all. Wow. And he talks about one time that he was walking on the streets as an old man, and uh, something startled him, and he actually did a 180 somersault in the air, and somebody saw him and asked him how in the world <laughs> he was able to pull that off. Wow. But he was a strange man, and you know, he discovered, uh, I'm just reading part of it, you can link to all of it if you wish, right. cyberspaceorbit.com. But he, toward the end of his life, he felt that he had made a breakthrough in the study of electricity into a whole new energy field called radiant energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there's a lot of talk about scalar energy, and I don't know if the parallels are exact, but apparently most of Tesla's work was went back to Yugoslavia and back into the eastern blocks and they apparently went on to develop some of his more uh, exotic uh, ideas and uh, now we might be faced with a new kind of physics I'm not sure it's called scalar physics well I tell you what Kent we're going to have to cut it there but uh, but it's actually not a bad place to stop it was a great uh, little piece to end the Halloween night uh, with Nikola Tesla and the strange things that were going on in his life uh, yeah what a strange story of the, the, the whole life of Nikola Tesla is uh, um, but we'll come back and we'll do more on this topic and we'll get your friend uh, Scott Stevens on the air maybe and maybe the three of us can do a show together um, and talk uh, to somebody who's r- right in the business of, meteor- of forecasting weather and meteorology and somebody who really uh, knows his stuff about this and, and, he, and can incorporate this new physics that we're talking about, this idea of scalars, uh, and maybe can uh, incorporate it into his um, view as a meteorologist. So, Yes, and I'd like to hear Scott has compiled a great deal of visual evidence right now, so he's very important to all this. All right. Well, we'll do it. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could talk for hours, as always. Uh, but, um, Kent, uh, once again, thanks for being on the program. You're a, uh, you're a gentleman and a scholar, as always, and can't wait to talk to you the next time. So Happy Samhain. Happy Samhain, and thanks uh, for all the tales tonight. Take care of yourself and tell the family we all say hello. Okay. All right. Bye, Kent. Good night. That was Kent Stedman from cyberspaceorbit.com, a regular guest here on Radio Orbit. He'll be back with us in a few weeks, and we'll try to set something up with uh, with uh, Scott Stevens, that uh, meteorologist weatherman in Seattle who's been investigating the, uh, uh, the scalar technologies that we believe are being used to manipulate the weather, uh, believe it or not. And uh, this is a mainstream guy who's on the television uh, every night in Seattle. So amazing stuff going on. Okay, uh, five minutes left in the program. We're going to finish out with a song called Scared. This is the Tragically Hip on Radio Orbit. Uh, Don't miss us next week. Be back a week from now with Dr. Michael Heisen, a marine biologist live from Hawaii. And we'll be talking about dolphins and whales and uh, the ability that these creatures have to communicate, to interact Um, uh, the intelligence that they exhibit and the healing capability that these animals or I shouldn't call them animals I don't think that these individuals are having uh, on some of the children that they're working on uh, working with in Hawaii so Dr. Michael Heisen from Hawaii live next week on Radio Orbit in the meantime Tragically Hip this is Scared Happy Halloween stay tuned for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum in just a few minutes (laughs) 